Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a Las Vegas bookmaking legend. He's worked at the Churchill Downs, ran the Royal Casino, the Club Calneva, Jerry's Nugget, before landing his most famous and prominent role, running the famous Stardust Sportsbook from 1983 to 1991 which the movie Casino is based on. He is the bookmaker's bookmaker, and he hung up the line that not only Nevada bookmakers copied, but the entire United States copied. He is one of a kind and a legend amongst legends. Please welcome Scotty Shetler. Scotty, thanks for coming on. It's going to be a good interview. I'll knock it out of the park, Spanky. I appreciate it, Scotty. Thank you, brother. So, Scotty, you have a book that, that you published several years ago. We were wise guys and didn't know it. And that describes your whole life story. You know, so you're one of the, the only other bookmaker that I know that, that, that has a book out that I've interviewed is Chris Andrews. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about your life, but I want to also get a little bit more theory on what's behind it. I suggest anybody listening to this podcast to definitely take the book, uh, wiseguys.com, which is Scotty's website. And get his book. It's an unbelievable read. It t- takes you through the whole history of Las Vegas on how things were when the mob ran Vegas. And Scotty will describe all his time there. We're going to touch base on a few of those stories, but we can't get through everything. So I definitely suggest you pick up that book. We were wise guys and didn't know it. So, Scotty, um, let's start from the beginning. How was life growing up? Uh, well, I'm from western Pennsylvania. Uh and when I was growing up, the steel mills and the coal mines were in going full blast. And uh, my dad worked in a mill for 30 some years. And uh, uh, my mother was Italian and I grew up in that culture, you know, the Italian, you know, and it still stuck with me to this day. But, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of gambling and it was just a way of life, you know, people, uh, there was uh, dice games and card games, but but sports betting was the big thing, and uh, I was always intrigued by sports betting. I mean, for, even in you know high school, I, I I loved sports, especially especially high school sports. I would go to maybe two three basketball games a day, uh, two three football games a week. I loved sports, just absolutely lived and died with it. So. <laughs> That's unbelievable because it, it, you know, when you say high school, Western Pennsylvania, there's a couple of other regions in the country where bookmakers act, actually put a line on high school. Oh yeah, games. yeah. Oh yeah. Back back then, yeah, we yeah, the, the high schools had lines on them. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I love it. Oh yeah. Uh huh. And there was you, big you, action. Big action. You, you could bet a couple dimes on a high school game. Oh man. You know, you in Vegas today they. You know, they might have you arrested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to bed on my modern day high school. They might, they might have the SWAT team there. <laughs> yeah, you could bet a couple of dimes on, on the high school games. You know, yeah, sure. Great. So you're in Pennsylvania. You start. Do you run parlay cards? Did you deal parlay cards? What did you wind up doing? Like, how did you kind of earn your stripes in the gambling? Well, I, I got uh, mixed up with a couple of bookmakers. Uh, and I, I would, you know, like go to Youngstown where they printed the cards. I would go, you know, once a week, pick up the cards, bring them back to, to, uh, 
Pennsylvania, mostly uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, Butler, Sharon, Farrell, in that area, you know, Western Pennsylvania, right in the heart of the steel mills and the gambling, you know. And uh, I, real small, maybe 50, 50 grocery dollars, $100, I had my own little book too. And I, you know, I would answer the phone and, uh, you know, certain, certain hours, you know, it wasn't a full time, uh, you know, and uh, it, it was, I, I would take off college kids and stuff like that, you know, just $1,500, grocery dollars. And uh, it, it, I did it myself. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and was it successful business? Were you able to make some good side? <laughs> I, I, I could have maybe got, you know, bought a hamburger or something. I don't know. No, it, <laughs> I, I, I actually did it because I wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, win or loss. I, I can't even remember. Evidently I didn't lose too much because I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still going, but, but uh, I, I just enjoyed it. I wanted to do it. You know, you know, so I took when, pride in it. When did you make the decision to kind of like cross over and say, listen, betting, I'm always losing betting, but when I, when I'm booking, I'm winning. Did, did that strike early in your mind? Well, I, you know, there's a song, uh, I fought the law and the law won. Well, I fought the law and they won. So, <laughs> so actually, uh, I was a ward of the state, <laughs> put it this way. I was, I lived on the state's dime for a couple of years. Gotcha. So when I got out, I figured I, that's enough for this BS. So that's when I wanted to go to Las Vegas. I always did want to go to Las Vegas, you know. You know, I had romantic dreams of Las Vegas. It certainly wasn't what I envisioned it, but, but uh, yeah, I figured it's time for me to, you know, hit the road and go to Las Vegas. That was in 1968. Okay, so 1968, Las Vegas is like, you know, the, the aura of Las Vegas is tremendous. You only yeah. see it in movies. You kind of just yeah. think about, you know, what, what Las Vegas is about. Describe the first time you enter Las Vegas. Who, who did you know? How did you know where to go? You know, and what were your, like, perception of, of the town? Well, what... When I first got there, I, I rode out with a couple other kids, and they kept they dropped me off, and they they kept going to Phoenix. And uh, uh, first thing I did, we were downtown. You know, down then Fremont Street was you could drive it. You know, mm -hmm. you could drive on it, two way traffic. Yeah. And and uh, I looked and I saw, you know, bets, sports betting, and stuff like that. I says, oh man, this is it. You know, this I'm you know this is what I came for. You know, so believe it or not, I had eighteen bucks left. And I bought a flop house, a room. I mean, when I say flop house, I mean, <laughs> it was a flop house. <laughs> and I, I remember I had, I had one pack of cigarettes left, Marlboro's, king size, and somebody stole them. And that was, that was, that, that was a big robbery, you know, I mean, yeah. I it, you know, I couldn't even afford to eat. So anyways, I had one name. I knew absolutely nobody in Las Vegas. I mean, I was stone cold rookie. And I had one name, and he he introduced me to a guy named Little Nicky from uh, your area, from uh, New Jersey. You're from mm -hmm. New Jersey, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So he introduced me to Little Nicky. Little Nicky uh, told me to go up to see Jasper Special up at the uh, Tower of Pizza, which in the movie Casino was called the Leaning Tower, mm -hmm. but in real life it was the Tower of Pizza. So on a Sunday. I, I actually walked from downtown Las Vegas up to the 
Tower of Pizza because they had no money for a taxi. So it's a Sunday and I open up the door and I walk in. It was open. The, door, the joint was closed, but the door was open. So I walk in and there's a guy behind a counter. He's got granny glasses on. He's counting money, of course. And uh, mm -hmm. I says, I says, are you Jasper? He looks over his granny glasses. I'm Jasper. I says, well, little Nikki sent me. And he says, well, what, what do you need? He thought I was looking for something. I said, well, I'd like a job. And he said, well, what can you do? I said, I don't know. I can do anything. You know, what do you want me to do? He says, go back in the back. He's the only guy in there, him and me. He says, go in the back, get a white jacket and go to work. I said, well, what do I do? He says, I don't care. Just do something. You know, <laughs> little Nicky sent me. So that was, uh, that's all I needed. That's all he, he needed. Says, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Just go do something. So, <laughs> so that's tough. And Jasper was all mobbed up. He's, he's passed away now. So what I say is not going to hurt him. So anyways, Jasper, was, he was with the Colombo family in New York. And uh, that's, that's the first break I got. Because through Jasper, all the doors in Las Vegas were open to me. I was Amazing. with Jasper, and all the doors were open. It's who you know. It, that's I, I, absolutely right. Back in those days, yeah. So... Jasper, you're in with Jasper now, so you're you're working there. How long do you stay at the Tower of Pizza? Is Jasper booking inside the Tower of Pizza? Oh yeah, yeah. Describe Jasper. the order, the clientele. What kind of people enter the Tower of Pizza? Ja Jasper was a loan shark and a bookmaker, and uh, and also they made good Italian food. Man, the Italian food was great. It was just awesome. All homemade. They Oh yeah, we we made our own, our own bread, our own pizza wow. dough. We made our own sausage. Uh, everything was homemade, uh, except the eggplant. We had to buy that. But today, <laughs> and, and where was the Tower of Pizza relative to today's strip? Because you said you was, walked from downtown. What a walk! It, like, it's a long way. It's, it's two or three miles from downtown. Probably wow. about five miles. Anyways, it was next to the Dunes, which was gotcha. is gone now. Gotcha. It was way up at the north end. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the south end, yes. way, way up there. It was almost the last place at that time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Jasper booked there, and it's the, the joint was, I mean, I don't know how he stayed in business, but uh, his partner was Bobby Beren, the, the hunchback. They called him Hunchy. And that wasn't offensive to him because he, he just, you know, that, that, that name wasn't a, wasn't derogatory that's just was his nickname he actually did have a hunchback anyways uh people went behind a bar it was it was all wise guys show people from the showrooms show girls it was just when when the out-of-town guys come in first thing they did was head to see jasper sinatra was in there i mean just it was it was the it was the joint for wise guys and here i am i'm a bus boy that's all I am as a bus boy. I'm cleaning the tables. And and so Jasper, he's up at the register, but you know, of course, he's you know hanging around the money. So he'd be he'd be on the phone taking a bet, and there'd be a customer from out of town, a square customer, you know, trying to pay their bill for the meal. And Jasper say Alabama you know, Oklahoma, it was, it was like you could order a, a pepperoni pizza and, and, an, and a parlay at the same time. So that's the way it was. People would go behind the bar, pour their own drinks, 
you go back in the kitchen, everything was tailor made. You go, customers go back in the kitchen and tell them how to cook their meal. It, wow. it was just awesome. That's amazing. I know you mentioned that in your book, uh, Scotty, where customers would go behind the bar, pour their own drink, and then they yes. would just put money in the register. It was like an honor system. If Jasper, if you were with Jasper, you just, he trusted you. It was just an yeah, honor yeah. thing. Yeah. Just like, yeah, think yeah. about that. Something like that today could never happen. No, they'd arrest you. Go behind yeah. the counter. They'd security, they'd whack you in the head. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just incredible. So it was, it was, Jasper opened a lot of doors for me. Put it that way. So I was with Jasper. That's all anybody needed to know. So we're from Jasper now. You're, you know, you're a bus boy. Um, yeah. Do you have bigger dreams? Or do you have? A, are, are you mad? Are you with your wife now? Do you have a um, kid? But my wife is here in, in Las Vegas. Uh, I have. I had a. My daughter would be about two years old then, and I had a son that was born while while I worked at the tower in Las Vegas. And in uh, of course, my wife. We're still married, by the way. You know, wow. that's a world record for Las Vegas. God bless. Yeah, that's great. It's like fifty some years. Oh man, God bless, yeah. brother. Yeah. So, 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 so as a bus boy, you know, you're not really making money, but however, with all the wise guys in there, are you getting some good tips? I got fantastic tips. Beautiful. I, I, I would get, I would get hundred dollar bills. Wow. I mean, today it's, it's unheard of, you know, it's unheard of, you know, guys, when's the last time you had a tip? I said, geez, I don't get tips. Guy, well, here, you know, they hand me a, a double saw or something, you know, and wow. uh, oh, I, I made fantastic money on tips. Yeah. All, all the all the waitresses did. It was all all waitresses. No no waiters, you know. Even barmaids, you know. Yeah, a lot of money, you know. The rubber bands come off when you were in there, you know. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. All right. So so when do you move on from the Tower of Pizza? What what makes you decide to just take the next step? Well, I I figured uh, you know I, I a bar boy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get anywhere as a bus boy. You know. I mean that's as far. That's as far as I can go in the tower. Yeah. So I told Jasper, I said, Jasper, I'd like to be a bartender. And he says, okay. So he called, he, he called up the head of the bartenders union, which is very strong bartenders and uh, uh, the culinary union, very strong. And uh, he took me down there. I, the guy's name was Jack Stratton. I'll never forget. He was the head of the bartenders union. Jasper and me went in and at that time, you had to have an apprentice. You had to be an apprentice, you know, for so many, whatever period of time. And not, when I was with Jasper, no, no apprentice. That was waived. The guy, right away, I got a bartender's card. Amazing. I, uh, the only thing I knew was Iron City beer from Pittsburgh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I had a bar, but the, I got a bartender's card because I was with Jasper. And that's, so I, I got, I had a, I worked at a little bar called the Copper Penny for a few months. And luckily, it was all there. There was no mixing drinks or anything. It was mostly just beer, draft beer, and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And from there, I went to the International, which morphed into the Hilton, which morphed into Westgate. So, so for you, to, so you, you know, how long were you at the Tower of Pizza? Ah, oh boy, this was in '69, '70, '71. I'm going to say to be to be safe, a year and a half. You know, that's a so, good thing. So you, you you paid some dues before Jasper would go. You know, you, you put some your time in, and, and Jasper saw that you were a good worker, you were a hard worker, and is that one of the main reasons why he was able to take you to try to get your bar license? Yeah, yeah. J J Jasper really liked me. He he took me, like, we would go to fights together, and I would go to his house. 
and you know he he lived in a he lived in an exclusive neighborhood you know with the I don't want to name drop, but he 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 lived uh, in a very exclusive neighborhood, you know. And I would go to his house, and uh, we were buddies. He, he, you know, he went he went to the can eventually, and uh, we corresponded. And you know, I sent him stuff from the Yankees and all this and that. And we yeah, we were good buddies. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so now you're a bar boy at the International. How's that? <laughs> Hard work. I, I was. <laughs> I was washing glasses mostly, you know, by hand, of course. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, I was touting games to customers, which mm. the bartenders weren't too happy about that because I was getting tips on the side. And, you know, they were bypassing the bartenders and talking to me. Gotcha. So I, I was touting games and all this and that. And uh, I, I was making a name for myself. And uh, I was there for, yeah, geez, maybe a year. You know, and from there I went to uh, Churchill Downs, which is, which is the greatest Legendary. joint in the world. So let, let's talk. Churchill Downs is, is just. Oh, boy. You hear the stories about Churchill Downs being, you know, probably one of the the, the best, the, the one of the most famous joints ever in the Las Vegas bookmaking scene. Yeah. This, you know, where you know I know you, you go deep into it in your book. Describe all the parties involved. How was your time there, Scotty? Well, let's get into it. I. I would hang around there when Bob Martin was was uh, behind the counter. Bob Martin was uh, the bookmaker there at the time. And when I say bookmaker, you know, Bob was booking with his own money, which makes him a bookmaker. A lot of people, including myself, call ourselves book bookies. We're not bookies. It's not our money. We're just managing it. <laughs> that's that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys in Vegas call themselves bookies. They're not bookies. Bookies book their own money. Mm -hmm. That's point. a bookie. Anyways, so Bob is there and, you know, Bob and I were on a, a talking, you know, Bob and I were knew each other from, from Churchill, you know, and he, he knew everybody. Bob, Bob talked to everybody. It wasn't me specifically. He talked to everybody. So anyways, uh, I made friends with a guy named Ray Lindsay, who was Bob's, who, who was behind the counter writing tickets and Ray was from uh, Norristown which is pretty close to you and we became good buddies and uh, Ray got me a job there because I was like an NFL player you just plug me in and you don't I don't need training mm -hmm. you just plug me in you know I was ready to go you know there's no there was no break-in period I could just so I just stepped right in and I I started out on the boards we had odds boards where you write by chalk you know the odds every every day i would go in and erase it oil it and then uh get ready for the next day put the write the teams in by hand the time of the game blah 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 and when it was time for the odds i put the odds up i'd write the odds in and we of course we had to make changes by hand and it was all by hand but one thing about churchill in, in all the joints in those days, you had to know what you're doing. There was no computers, no machines, nothing. So you had to know what you're doing. You had to write tickets by hand. So if if you didn't know what you're doing, the customers would just pick, you know, they'd pick your pockets. You know, you'd, you'd be helpless. So we had to know 
we had to be able to read a sports schedule and know exactly when the game started so we wouldn't get past posted. There was no computer to hide behind. Uh, we had, like you make a parlay, I knew how to make a fit in a parlay, you know, to, to save the first, the first step in correcting the parlay, you save the first step. And I knew how to make fits and uh, the cashier would have to cash the tickets by hand. I mean, you had to sit there and figure partly. Like, you know, here comes some guy with a $5, 16 round Robin, you know, <laughs> you had Amazing. to figure it by hand. Amazing. You know? Amazing. Yeah. And er everything was done by hand. If you didn't know what you're doing, they, they, you couldn't get a job there. And, and that alone, being a writer, a lowly writer and a board man at Churchill Downs, automatically people knew what you knew what you were doing. Because if you didn't, you're not gonna work at Churchill Downs. And I also, every every writer at that time had a phone in front of, you know, nowadays <laughs> you couldn't do that. But we all had phones, and uh, you know, you give out you give out uh, scores. You know, people call for scores, and I I had a little business on the side where we all did where where if if a uh, a big game come in, you know, I had customers that I would call my own private little niche of customers. If the first guy I would call was uh, Blackie, Toledo Blackie. I'm sure you've heard that name. Mm -hmm. And everybody thought they were the first, but uh, <laughs> which, which was nice when it came time to print out. I was on a lot of payrolls. Everybody thought they were first, but I would call Blackie with uh, if, if a game was off the board or an injury, at that time, injuries were a big deal. I mean, oh man, if you had an injury, boy, that was, you know, that was a nuts. So I would get on my little phone call, call out and give them, you know, the the, the news, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I made money on this. I guess I always had something I'm doing on the side. Anyways, <laughs> I, you, know, you know, so, so uh, I, I, I uh, from, from there, well, I, I worked there for like five years, you know, four or five years, you know. Now, now Bob Martin, that's a legendary name in the business. He's Bob. the greatest. Bob's the king. He, yeah, go ahead. You know, anybody sharper than Bob when it came to making numbers, I know, you know, before Roxy came along, Bob was, was it. Yeah, Bob was it. Yeah, he, Bob was, uh, Bob, Bob was uh, the bookmaker for the United States. He, he was it. He would settle disputes. If you had a dispute in Chicago, let's call Bob. Bob will settle it. He was it. Wow. He was it. He was ab above everybody. And he was the nicest guy you could ever possibly imagine. Just the nicest, most, like a big teddy bear. Nicest guy you could possibly imagine. And it, it, I I really don't know how he made his numbers, but he, he come up with good numbers. And he, he says that... He says, you'll know when you got the right number. And that's that's pretty a simple statement, but it's actually true. You'll when you're making numbers, you'll know when you got the right. You'll just know. You know. Gotcha. You know but he he had just like me, he had help. We all had help. It was, you know, we all helped each other, you know. But but Bob Bob was the lines maker for the United States. He was it. Yeah. He was the king. So now let's talk about Frank Hall, because I know he was a Churchill. Yeah, yeah. Fr Frank was from Texas, big bookmaker in Texas, and he he when Bob 
when Bob uh, left Churchill, Frank took over. So that, that, that was my first boss in Churchill, Frank Hall. Yeah, Frank was a good guy. He, all, all those bookmakers were just nice guys, just really nice guys. And Frank and I became friends. I would go over to his house and everything, you know, but uh, Frank was a, those guys would take anything, just bring it in, whatever you bring in, that's what you can bet, you know. And, and Frank was, he was a Texas bookmaker. He had a lot of connections in Texas. And, and, uh, and Harry, Harry Gordon, of course, was the horse guy. He was over on the other side. He wasn't exactly crazy about the sports, but he was on the other side, you know, and Saturdays when, 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 uh, Harry would, uh, break down and hand out ice creams, you know, Saturdays, that was a big deal. So yeah. He'd tell, he'd tell Joe Green, the, the janitor who was handing out the ice cream, don't give any to the sports guys, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was just, just you know. Yeah. I mean, we're handling, we're handling hundreds of thousands a day for them. Yeah. Don't give, that, don't give uh, them an ice cream. That's funny. So, oh, it's just, yeah. It was, yeah, they, they put the customers, they would give sandwiches out and, and, and yeah, ice oh, yeah, cream bars. Yeah, yeah. And- yeah, Bob... Bob would, uh, and, and and it went on when Frank was there. We'd they'd order 150 sandwiches from the Tower of Pizza, 75 steak and 75 uh, egg salad. Okay, so no, what makes sense? 75 steak and 75 pepper pepper eggs. Gotcha. Okay, so every Saturday morning, oh, I mean, it was a, it was a social event. You know, here's all these guys are betting hundreds of thousands, and they're all fighting over a stupid sandwich. And they start at the beginning of the week. Hey, can you save me? Can you save me a steak sandwich Saturday? You know? I mean, oh yes. And some guys had asked two or three clerks, you know, writers, you know, and then they ended up with three of them. Yeah, I love so, it. Oh, so anyways, about eleven o'clock, Bob's Bob's uh private drive. Bob had his own taxi. He had, he had, everywhere he went, he went in a taxi. Sarge was his driver. He was, he was Sarge's only customer in a taxi, yellow cab, and it was always parked out front. So Sarge would walk to the tower to get the, to get the sandwiches. And people be looking out the door. Did you see him yet? I think I see him, you know. <laughs> and and it's, it's dead serious business. They're, they're, yeah. they're, you know, what a what a movie that would make! And then they come in and, you know, they crowd around the counter not to bet, but to get a damn sandwich. And I love that's that's unbelievable. It's like these guys are betting so much money, but the, you know when it comes down to the free stuff, the free sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, free sandwich. That yeah, it's it's like getting the comp to, to a meal. You know, you yeah, blow, yeah. blow a hundred thousand here. You want a meal? Yeah, yeah. It was a status symbol. If you got a sandwich. You were it, you know. You were one of the guys, you know. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, exactly. Yeah. So you, Bob Martin. I remember you mentioned also um, in the book, uh, Scotty, where Bob Martin would hang up like articles, or he would put some stuff on the front door um, yeah. before before you'd open, just to give like a re, a, a, a synopsis or a yeah. preview of the games. Um, yeah. Can you describe that? Because I know that came big. We could talk about how you actually used that later in your career. But go I ahead, did. describe that. I did. Bob, we had, I'll say we, because it, it was, 
after after Bob left, it just I just kind of it just melted in from one one regime to the other. So I'm going to use the word we. Yeah. Bob Bob would take the, uh, we had an old UPI machine. It would clink clank. You know, it, could, it would and a bell would ring and you know, just all <laughs> kind of stuff. And Bob would take these sports stories and hang them on the wall. You know, scotch tape them on the wall. And guys thought that they were getting information. They said, oh my God, Bob's sharing his information with us. You know, it's so yeah, useless. Yeah. But, yeah. but they said, oh, this is how Bob makes a line. He has this UPI tape and Bob would put it on the wall and everybody come in and read it. And, you know, and they, they thought that they were really getting something. But, you know, of course, two, two guys can read the same article and each comes up with a different side. You know? <laughs> I love it. You know, That's you know. the greatest. <laughs> Yeah, or, or else you go in and you go in and you like the Packers and you read this article. Now you like the Bears. You know, so, <laughs> you know I mean, what? It's, it's all useless. You know, but yeah, anyways, yeah, yeah. everybody thought they were getting something, and I, I, I took that, I took that to the stardust with me. I did it, but we'll get into that. Later. Yeah, we'll get into that definitely. So, what other uh, things? I know, um, you know, back then information didn't travel as fast. You mentioned yeah. that you used to have uh, friends that used to work for the airlines. Yeah. Um, can you describe that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Joe and Charlie, they work for TWA, which I don't even think uh, is, they're probably gone now. But anyways, yeah. they they worked in a warehouse at the McCarran International Airport. And the planes would come in from all over the country, you know, different cities all over the country. And, and they were on the cleaning crew and they would save me the sports pages. So... I had sports pages from Atlanta, New York, Chicago, blah, 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 all over the country before, you know, you come in from the East, it's three hours earlier than Las Vegas. I had news before Las Vegas did. You know? oh, and cool. I had, I would go out every night to the, to the TWA uh, warehouse terminal and, and pick up these papers and, and take them home and read them. And and get what information I needed. You know, now you couldn't even get in the airport. They have you arrested. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You just drove right in. I just drove right up to the to the terminal and or the warehouse and got my newspapers every day. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. And that and that was that was such that was such big information there. That's when you get into it. Was. That, that was on that was a big, big edge. Help. Yeah. I, I was I was a betting at the time and, and Ray Vera and I uh, he, he's an odds maker and he took me under his wing and we would share the information. Ray, Ray had a guy in New York who would stand by this newsstand. And as soon as the papers come on the newsstand, he would bundle them up and, and it, it, it ship them air, air, you know, airline to Las Vegas to Ray. And Ray would also have a big stash of newspapers. So newspapers. So you know, we shared our information, you know. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. So, all right. So, so you're at Churchill. You learn a lot now. And, you're, you know, like you said, there's an art form. Before we, I want, I want to get to the next step in, in your career, but you, you said there's an art form and, 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 you know, being an odd, a board man um, on, on how you write the board and how you oil it. You know, yeah. not everybody could be a board man. Can you describe a little bit of that? Like, it was, it, it was, it was work. Uh, I had come in every morning. First of all, I'd, I'd erase the chalk. Everything was either in orange chalk or white. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd erase it, put oil on it, oil it, then rub the oil off, and then and then write in by hand the teams, the times, 
and no matter what it was, basketball, baseball, football, and we had, it was, it, it went in the order of the JK schedule. JK was, was the Jerry Kilgore, JK. The JK schedule from out of Los Angeles set the rotation. Mm -hmm. So I used, I used his rotation, everybody did. And everybody carried a JK schedule in their back pocket. And, uh, and, and as, as the scores come in, we had, we had, oh, we were really high tech. We had an old air driven reader board. I mean, it was at that time, it was a nuts, but it, it was always breaking and you'd have to hit it with a, with a broom handle to get it going again. Really? <laughs> there was a soft spot on it. Like, like a Louisville slugger, you had to you had to hit it right in the right spot, and it would start again. But wow. it, it was high tech; it was the only one in town. So all the scores would come in, and the UPI ticker was sitting there behind the counter, just making all kind of racket and noise. And and the bell would ring, and people would say, "What's that? What's that? What? You know, <laughs> like, you know." And they just want to. Yeah, I, they would, would... I would write the scores on there and everything. In baseball, now that baseball. You could walk in off the street and look at that board, and you could tell exactly what inning it was, who was at bat. I mean, how long we put the time of the 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 innings, the the pitching change, the time was there. You could tell how long that pitcher's been in there. You could tell wow. everything. And if if a score didn't come in like like in seven minutes, people would say, "Geez, well, they're doing something. They're doing something." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if it was 10 minutes, oh, it's a field goal, which meant three runs. Yeah. Then if it's 15 minutes, say, oh my God, you know, they, you know, they, it could be lefty righty. They could have taken a left hander after a right hander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this stuff. And these guys all are speculation. Yeah, these guys are going over all this stuff it could be. Then finally the score would come in and, you know, it'd be a big zero or something, you know, but and it, it, you had to put the home run. You, you you mark the you mark the triangle and you know with things so you know there was a home run in that inning and then you put the home run how many guys were on oh it was pretty it was wow it was it wasn't easy you know it's amazing it's, it, it was a skill yeah. in and of itself an art form yeah um what, but you know there was a lot of characters at the church oh, back then you want to describe a few of them you you oh. go through so many in your book that like, you know oh my god spend an hour just talking about these guys um uh, you know uh, any stick out yeah the, the, you mentioned the book when, when i wrote that book it wasn't exactly it, it wasn't like my life story or my time in las vegas what what i wanted to do was get all these characters in there before yeah. because nobody talks about these guys all they do is drop, drop big names you know what i mean yeah, yeah. I, I i i got all these little guys in there the real true characters that made las vegas yeah. that's what i wanted to do with this book you know, because nobody gives them any credit. Of but course, all oh, there no. was. I, I remember one time. There's a, oh geez, I could just go on and on. One of the main ones was Crying Kenny. Yeah. The <laughs> biggest, the biggest crier of all time. First pitch, he he was always drunk for one thing. You know, he <laughs> he'd come in he'd come in Sunday in an NFL game with two two quarts of booze, set him on top of the cigarette machine with ice. And everybody just ignored him. You know, he just raised so much hell, crying and moaning and groaning. You know, you son of a bitch, Tom Landry, if the Russians drop a bomb, I hope they drop it right on you. you know, he, <laughs> oh, he was brutal. Oh. I mean, just from the, from the first 
kickoff, he started bitching. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I saw him one day. He had a nice leather coat. He had a lot of money. Just rip it off the buttons and just rip the coat. I saw him reach in his pants and scratch his balls because he was so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. He, he's scratching himself, clawing it. One day we're sitting there and uh, he says, uh, I'm going to go over and jump in the fountains at Churchill. He says, you want to go with me? And he says, no. Nah. I said, no, that's okay, Kenny. I better stay here. <laughs> you, can, you can go. He did. He went over and jumped in the fountains. Here comes Metro. They haul him down to the can. They you know, sober him up. And he had a bankroll, about 8000 in his pocket, soaking wet. So... They took it and put it in the envelope, and he gave them a phony name. But yeah. when he, when they sobered him up and were going to let him go, he forgot the name. <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't give it to him. I mean, uh, they did, but he, he had a hell of a time getting his money back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave him a phony name. Oh yeah. man. And then there's another couple guys, a Gorilla Man. This guy was a, this guy was a real piece of work. His, his wife owned Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. His name is Rodney Fertel. Her name is Ruth Fertel. She owned Ruth's Chris Steakhouse out of New Orleans. And Rodney was a owned half of the property in downtown New Orleans. I mean, he was he was just a filthy rich, but he dressed like a bum. He had an old, old beat-up Mercedes, and he used to sleep in it in front of Churchill, too cheap to buy a room. Wow. And yeah, oh, he was... And he just hung around me. Give me a game. Give me a game. Give me a game. A anyways, one day, him and Joachim, Joachim, a little Jewish guy about four foot eight from Cleveland. <laughs> so he, Joachim sitting in the front row sleeping like he always does. He he was older than baseball. He was about 10 years old. So so anyways, Joachim sleeping with his hand in his pocket on his bank also. So nobody could pick his pocket. So anyways, <laughs> him and Rodney get in an argument, and Rod and and Joachim sets him up. He about free throws. Joachim says, "I can make ten free throws in a row." Here's a little guy. I know he wasn't five foot tall. Anyways, him and Rodney made a bet that he couldn't do it. So here comes the whole Churchill Downs empties out, and we're following Joachim and Rodney, the gorilla man, to. The, the North Gym on UNLV campus. So we're all in there. <laughs> Rodney, or Joachim, one, two, three, gets up to nine. He made nine in a row. So Rodney knows he's going to lose the bet. So he starts raising hell, screaming, hollering, pounding. And UNLV security comes, throws us all out. And Rodney says, I don't have to pay you because you you know, we didn't finish the bet. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, so, man. yeah. <laughs> and and he, he, this is true. He actually ran for the mayor of New Orleans. I have his card. And his, his, his big thing that w was, he was going to buy two gorillas for the zoo. That was what, that was his platform. <laughs> he was nuts about gorillas. So yeah. That's why he called so, him the gorilla man. Yeah, that's why they called him the gorilla man. Yeah. So anyways, he, Big upset. He didn't. He didn't get elected. You know? <laughs> so, anyways, he he bought the two gorillas. Anyways. Oh, okay. And I I remember the one's name was Benika, and I forget the other one. Anyways, he went to see them every day, and 
would go in and pet them and all that. So anyway, these gorillas are getting older. And one day he went in, they beat the hell out of them. <laughs> 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 they beat the hell out of them. Oh, <laughs> that's the last time he went in the cage. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Amazing. Another, another time a lady comes in, an yeah. old plaid, she has a plaid dress on. Just, just a, she looked like she was from Mayberry and she's got a brown paper bag and she's raising all kinds of, I don't want this. This is not mine. This money's not mine. I don't want this. So how much is in there? So she, she, she wouldn't say, but anyways, it was full of, it was full of Cecil's hundreds. So Joey Boston ticket writer right next to me says, well, let me take it in the back room and count it for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> luckily she didn't do it. She kept it here. Her husband was booking on the side and not telling her. And she found his stash. He had a whole shoebox full of money in the closet and she found it. So she equated that with us somehow, you know, yeah, she, yeah. the last time we saw her, she was outside with this paper bag getting on the bus. And that's the last we saw her. I don't wow. know what happened to her. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a hundred, there's a million stories. A thousand, yeah. yeah. It's just, how about, I remember Bing Weinstein. You mentioned him. That was another funny one. Oh, Bing. Yeah. Bing. He, he, he was $50 better, but he bet every game in the board, but for 50 bucks, grocery dollars and he'd stand by my window and as soon as the change came in notre dame seven and a half he'd say damn i was just gonna bet that can i have the old number can i, can I play seven? <laughs> <He's> <laughs> every game that's a nit yeah yeah he, he faded every game <laughs> yeah every well, single one i was just gonna bet yeah. that yeah i was just about to bet that one there's, there's another guy bobby the midget he, he was a book. He was a bookmaker. He was a midget bookmaker. So, <laughs> and so what happened to him? He, one day, <laughs> there's two payphones outside of Churchill. Oh my God! There's two payphones outside of Churchill. So something happened, and everybody runs out to call their private bookmaker. And Bobby's out there with a quarter. <laughs> And he's trying to get it in the slot. He's trying to slam dunk it. <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to jump up and slam dunk his quarter in the slot. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you could picture that. He's, no, I he's, could. I could. It's... He's trying to slam dunk it. He couldn't reach it. <laughs> oh, my God. Great. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. So, geez, I'm just gonna. I got tears in my eyes. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, I'm just gonna get my train of thought here, Scotty. I'm just thinking about <laughs> the midget trying to dunk the quarter. So, <laughs> all right. So, so you're right. You, you you leave Churchill now, and yeah. um, there's just other, there's so many other stories. I, you guys got to read the book. You know, we're wise guys. The, the stories are just endless. What? Just unbelievable. Go ahead. What are you saying, Scotty? One other story about Churchill. Yeah. One day, my wife. She would come and pick me up with my two little kids. Mm -hmm. and they would come in Churchill and they'd hang around and sit there and and they were enthralled with the midget. So they would just sit there and stare at him. You know, <laughs> he was always in the front row because he couldn't see if he was in the second <laughs> row. He was always in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> and my my kids just embarrassed me. They would sit there and stare at him. You know. Yeah. So my wife comes home and she says, you know, some guy, some guy told. Elizabeth and Vincent, they could go over to the dunes and go to the gift shop and they can have whatever they want, whatever they can carry out, they can have. 
And she says, of course, I didn't do it. And I said, well, who was it? And she described him. Here, it was Sid Wyman who owned the damn place. He was the owner of the dunes. <laughs> oh, my I God. Said, Connie, that was legit. I said, yeah, <laughs> he owns the place. That's... But, but oh. Sid, Sid knew that they'd get teddy bears. They wouldn't go for the jewelry. You know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> they, of course. They, they'd get lollipops and teddy bears. You know? Yeah. So, oh. so he, anyways, go that's ahead. Nice. No, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I, I don't, I love it. I love yeah. it. So, okay. So, um, so you, you, you now, you know, Churchill, you, you're, you're at Churchill for about five years, Scotty. That's, yeah, you, yeah. You really, you know, you, you, you by yeah. then you kind of, uh, you know, you really mastered the art of, of knowing everything and knowing about bookmaking. Yeah. And then you get your first chance to run a joint and that yeah. was the Royal Casino. That was the Royal Casino. I was sitting there and Joe Slyman from Cleveland had had the casino, not the hotel. There was a hotel there, 200 rooms on Convention Center Drive. And Joe called me up and asked me if I wanted to, you know, I said, sure, Joe. He said, come on. So I came down and talked to him. And uh, oh, what a joint that was. Anyways, Joe, had, it was just a little hole in the wall sawdust joint, like maybe one crap table, four or five blackjack tables and no roulette you know just just a hole in the wall book or, or casino and a few slots of course and joe had joe was such a big gambler you can't you just these guys bet i mean he he, he played golf and they had like four ten thousand dollar props on each hole they're, they're just goofy you know anyways so i started i started building joe's book for him there was nowhere to build it. He had a he had a little burlesque show in there, you know, a little stage and a couple girls do, you know, do this burlesque bullshit, and so we built we put the book in there. So we built we put the burlesque stages on one end, and the sports cars on the other end. Yeah. So so at night, jeez, oh at night this curtain would come down in front of the sports counter, and we turn the chairs around. Now it's the showroom for the burlesque. <laughs> in the morning, the curtain would go up, turn the chairs around the other way, and it's a sports, <laughs> it's a sports book. book. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Now, now you wrote some big action there, Scott. They that was the first. That was actually the first time the board I had contact with the board. Joe would book like out of just unlimited action. Like at, say a, say a Tuesday basketball, we might do a million dollars. This is in this is in nineteen seventy dollars, which was big money, and the board couldn't figure it out. What the hell's going on there? But every ticket was legit. It was all written out. Pat taxes were paid, and nothing was going on. Of course, Joe booked on the side, but nothing was going on. Mm -hmm. Joe would put up numbers and. In, Fade them on the other side out of his pocket. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You know. Mm -hmm. Anyways, the so the board just couldn't figure it out. So they come in. They were they spent every they spent morning till night there watching, and they had their little calculators and pencils and papers, and they couldn't figure it out. Nothing was going on. Taxes were being paid and everything. So th th they just couldn't figure out what was going on. But anyways, that was my. That was my first joint, and it was a big time joint. It was just a little place, and when we put our numbers up in the morning, guys would have their cars parked outside. Each one would block the other guy and to be the first at the payphones. They all had the payphones, you know, canvas. Uh -huh. They they knew all where all the payphones were, and 
they'd be tripping each other trying to get trying to get out the door first wow. you know to get their car and they'd block each other in the parking lot oh it was a circus but it, yeah that was a big time joint They're small but big money big money you wrote yeah. in your book and i'm going to quote you i learned a lot from joe especially about totals and yeah. how to move them for the greatest value was yeah, he a yeah. totals guy? Or how, how did you learn about totals? Joe, well, t totals were the big thing back then. You know, they didn't, they didn't even come in to, Bill Dark was the first, uh, North Las Vegas, Delmar was the first guy that had totals. He's, a, he's the guy that invented totals. I think his first total was like two and a half on Sandy Koufax. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways, Joe was, Joe, Joe was pretty in tuned at that time to totals, you know, and he, he taught, he taught me how to move them, how, you know, what numbers to skip over, how to, how to go from, from, you know, eight under to eight over without, and skip eight and he, all kind of stuff. I just learned a lot from Joe about the totals. Yeah. You know, it, it was back then totals weren't that big of a deal, you know, but, but I learned a lot, especially how to move them. So, okay. So f from the Royal now, um, uh, Warren Nelson, you um um you go to the club Calneva is that what happens yeah. next? Warren Nelson, uh, he became probably the best friend I ever had on earth. He he just absolutely liked me, and I I don't know how it came about. So, so somebody told me about him, and I called him, cold just a cold call, and says Warren, I hear I hear you're looking for somebody to run a book for you. He says yeah. He says can you do it? And I says yeah. He says. I'm going to send you a plane ticket. He, so he, he got me a plane ticket to Reno and I went up there and he interviewed me. I'm just a, you know, I'm probably, what am I, early thirties. So he interviews me and he took a liking to me. This, this actually happened in, in the interview. This wasn't an interview like you go in with a shirt and tie. This was, this was two scoffers talking to each other. Uh -huh. he, he had a knife. And he handed me the knife. This is true. He handed me the knife. And I took the knife. And I didn't know what to do with it. He said, well, give it back to me. And I gave it back to him. He says, oh, you're one of those Eastern kids, huh? He says, you know how to use a knife. I handed it back, you know, the handle so he could, you know, and I, I didn't hold it where I would cut my hand. You know what I mean? He says, you know how to use the knife. I don't know how to use the knife except maybe on a steak. You know? <laughs> so so he's, he hired me. He says, you, you, you know what you're doing. He says, you're one of those Eastern kids, aren't you? I said, yeah. This is, so anyway, this, this is, wait a minute. One, one second, Scott. I gotta, because this is unbelievable. Yeah. So, so he hands you a knife and he hires yeah. you based on the way you hand him back the knife? That's, that's an overstatement. That, that was part of the interview. And that, that was what, that, and, that and, was, and and you handed him back the knife so that he could grab the handle. Yeah, and, and I didn't have my hand around the blade. In other words, yeah. If I give him the handle, I'm holding the blade. Yeah. So he could take the handle and rip my fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I made sure that my fingers were out of the blade. Gotcha. Okay. Love but it. he got the handle, and I had the handle at the same time. So that my fingers, he couldn't rip, he couldn't grab the knife and cut my, you know. He, Warren was uh, was a Marine, tough guy. He he was in the Marines, Second World War, and he was from Missoula, Montana, which was a big gambling town. He's the guy that brought Keno to Nevada. 
Wow. They had, yeah. He, it was a big gambling town, boxing town, Missoula, Montana. And he, dumbest thing I ever did was leave there. He was going to send my kids to Carroll College. He was a big benefactor at Carroll College. And he was, he told me, he says, I'll send both your kids to Carroll College. And me like a dumbbell. I wanted to go back to Las Vegas, you know. Well, let's describe your time in Reno. How was it? How was the Club Calniva? Oh, I, well, we were up in the third floor and we went up there and weren't, and there was nothing but a dirty, dirty old storage room. And so Warren says, can you put a book in here? I said, sure. So anyways, we put a fairly good sized book. It had its own horse, horse counter, uh, sports, sports counter. It was, it was a, it was a pretty big deal. And, it, you know, and they, they were smart enough to put poker tables there because they, they complement each other. And, and, uh, so we so we opened up a book and I did I did pretty good I I created a lot of business a lot of business which is what he wanted and he he understood gambling I I always worked for guys that understood gambling mm -hmm. that's another thing that didn't hold me back everybody I ever worked for understood gambling you know these guys didn't sweat games every everybody I ever worked for was a gambler so anyways uh we're doing okay. We're, we're bringing in money, you know, we're bringing in traffic and if you go up the third floor to get there, you had to go past all the slot machines and table games and, you know, it's pretty well thought out. And, uh, uh, we had free drink tickets, which was a big thing in Reno. Everybody was an alcoholic in Reno. So we, <laughs> we give away free drink tickets and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good thing. I, I really liked it. I really, really liked it, you know, and w Warren treated me like his own kid i stayed my wife and i and our kids stayed at his ranch and while the book was being built and he, he let my kid fish in his pond it was the only person he ever let fish in his pond he had big trout in there he stocked it and he he really he really took a liking to me and yeah chris andrews in his book says all great things about warren and yeah and yeah. it's just uh it's you know you know so you, you even said man i can't believe i left there yeah. Uh, what, what what made you leave? Well, I, I I left Vegas to go up there. You know, I mean. No, I know. What made you leave Reno and leave Warren and then? I wanted to know. go back to Las Vegas. I wanted to be a big shot. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to be. I, I did what I could in Reno. I changed the whole betting atmosphere in Reno. Used to be, if you wanted to bet a parlay, you couldn't bet it off the board. You had to bet a card. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, that's the way Reno was. You couldn't bet a parlay like you know, give me blah blah A and B. You had to bet it off the parlay card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I changed all that, and I, I changed the odds. They were ripping everybody off with the odds. I give them correct odds, Vegas odds, and. Uh, so they uh, weren't dealing minus one ten both ways in Reno back I, then. I don't think so. it, it, that, that we're talking forty fifty years ago. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it was probably you probably had to lay six to five on the wow. street bet. Yeah. And I changed all that. Okay, so you go back to Vegas now. Um, yeah. Where do you where do you you, you wind up? Um, this is like nineteen eighty one ish now. You yeah, go back. I, I went to where the hell did I go? Jerry's Nugget. I I put a book in there. Well, first before you went to Jerry's Nugget, you were start, you were a writer for Ray Lindsay, who was running the Stardust at the time. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. I went back to the Stardust and yeah. I, as a writer. Yeah. Okay. With my good friend Ray Lindsay, who we're still—I just got his Christmas card. 
uh, we were still friends after all these years. And uh, I was a ticket writer, okay? And I'm sitting there writing tickets, okay? And I don't know, I spent a year or something like that writing tickets. And uh, uh, Now, let me, let me stop you for a second, uh, Scotty. Yeah. You know, you ran the Royal Inn. You ran the Club Calneva. You know, yeah. do you ever say, man, look, I'm, I'm going now from, uh, I'm running the joint. Now I'm just, you know, I know you and Ray are such good friends, but did you ever feel as if, wait a minute, am I taking a step backwards just being a ticket writer? No, no, you ever no, think no. That, it, you know, I had to do it. You know, gotcha. I, I proved myself at the Royal. Mm -hmm. Although it didn't get a lot of ink, it was the biggest joint, the biggest I'd ever seen. Nobody knew it. Yep. You know, you know, nobody knew it. It wasn't, it wasn't romantic. You know, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't the Caesars, but, but we outdid Caesars, and and I had proved myself there. I mean, I started it from scratch. What did I have to prove? I I, I wasn't proud. I write tickets, you know. Gotcha. I mean, I'm oh, beautiful. A, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I I had to do it. I had a family to support, and I, yeah. I did it. You know, it's no big deal. And uh, uh, I knew it wouldn't last forever, but I'm not proud. I I wrote tickets, so that's part of that. When I worked for the state of Pennsylvania, that's, I learned how to be humble. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, know, of course. You of know. course, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I had my head screwed on right. Yep. So, so Ray and I were buddies and, uh, and of course I got a bonus every week that nobody knew about. Yeah. You know, Ray took care of his yep. buddies and I got a bonus every week that nobody knew about. And it was, it was, it was okay. You know, and then, and then, People from Jerry's Nugget called and asked me if I'd put a book in there, you know. So, so I did, you know. Just a, I hated that place. Oh man, they they were, they were, they they hated a nickel because it wasn't a dime, you know. They were just they they were just <laughs> tight tight as hell, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the first day I went to the cage to get the bank and they said, "Well, how much you need?" I says, "Well." First day, maybe thirty thousand. They almost died. <laughs> they were gonna give me. They were gonna give me like a hundred bucks and a bunch of, you know, drink tickets, you know, <laughs> you know and expect yeah. me to bring ten thousand back, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, of I hated course. it. Anyways, I was only there for like five months. Yeah, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. So okay, so then after Jerry's done, like the big big break happens now. That that really was yeah. the, the biggest the, part. Yeah, Warren contacted me at Jerry's Nugget and wanted me to run the stardust yeah so yeah warren warren had a couple points in the boy group they had local joints sam's town and sam's club and they had that joint downtown four four queens and uh it was just a, they were like cowboys you know like old time westerners and they, they were good at what they did running local joints yeah. You know, taking care of the locals. They were very good at what they did. So anyways, Warren had a couple points and he had a piece of, of uh, the Boyd group. So he's the only one that even remotely knew about booking. So they, Warren, they left it up to Warren. Warren called me and I said, sure, you know, absolutely. This was 1983. So. Now what happens to so, Ray? Isn't Ray, wasn't oh, Ray? Well, yeah. So, so the outfits always changed there. The money went to the same place, but the front guys always changed. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But the money always ended up, you know, wherever it went. So, 
So, but the front guys always changed. Anyways, this new outfit, uh, Herb Tobin and Al Sachs. Herb Tobin owned a cab company and Al Sachs, I don't know what he owned. But uh, uh, the gaming board was on their ass. So the gaming board come in and says, if you don't get out of here, we're taking your license. So they had to leave. So that left Ray. So Ray Warren called me to run the joint and well, Ray had to go too. Yeah, they all had to go. You know, they took their suitcases and dug up the cans out in the backyard and <laughs> they all took off, you know, so. Now, where's Frank Rosenthal in all this? Is he with? Frank was, Frank was the head of the Stardust. Mm-hmm. He was the, the head. They called him entertainment director, but he was actually the head of it. You know, they, they took his license, his gaming license, or he couldn't get one. And so, so he, he wasn't going to leave. So they made him entertainment director, which didn't involve a gaming license. So his, his title read entertainment director, but he was actually the casino director. Yeah. So, so, so Lefty was an absolute genius. He built a book that you couldn't believe. It, at that time, it was the first one on the strip, the only one, and it was magnificent for those times. Big, like maybe the ceilings were like maybe three stories up. Big, huge boards, bigger than me. Uh, big counter, maybe all oh, 15 windows in the horse counter. Had a big, huge theater-type TV. It was just, fan- for those days, it was fantastic. And he... His, his boards, he, he just knew how to make money. He just, he, he was just a genius. He, money just clinged to him. I don't know, you know, like bees, like honey. To, anyways, he just knew how to make money. And he, he was also, from what they say, a genius handicapper. He must have been because the Chicago guys had all kind of faith in him, you know what I mean, to run the yeah. book. So he had to know what he's doing. That's no place to mess around. Of you, know, course. you don't bullshit those guys. So so he's he's running the stardust and he he made these boards like Ebbets Field. In other words, you didn't you open the door, big huge doors, bigger than me, and you put the numbers in there like in Ebbets Field, you know, like plaques. Mm. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. just the greatest thing, and people loved it. And they could see the results, horse results, and the sports results, and it was upstairs in the second level and they had a big catwalk, just a huge monstrosity thing. Each one of these, each one of these boards, I don't know how he figured it out, but they were in, in the morning, the girls made negatives of the day's horses. Okay. Maybe five, 10 tracks and they made negatives. And somehow he put those negatives, each, each, each one of those boards had a big camera behind it. Very, this thing, this was not cost effective. Each each one of them had a big uh, camera a projector, like a projector type. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. The bulbs had he had to get the bulbs from Germany. It was a big operation. But when they come out on on, they were projected onto the the backs of these boards. Yeah, and it's just beautiful. You know, it come yeah. out as a negative black. You know, black background, white letters and it was just it was just it, it was a genius so lefty built this book and it was just fabulous for las vegas at that time and bob was the first one downtown with a book 
he opened up at the Union Plaza. So there was two, they, the, the board just allowed, in their infinite wisdom, they just allowed uh, sports books in, in hotels, but you had to have 200 rooms, okay? Gotcha. So, you know, you couldn't just open one up in your garage and say, this is a hotel. You know, you had to have yeah. 200 rooms. So, uh, so that's, so that's how I ended up at Stardust, you know, so. Uh, so did you work for, for, were you there? Was Lefty still there? No, 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 no. No, he was gone by Lefty, then. Lefty was gone. Left, Lefty had actually left town. He went to Southern California. His kids went to Stanford on swim scholarships, blah, blah, blah. And he ended up in Florida, still handicapping. Gotcha. But, but, but Lefty was gone, you know. So yeah. the, these big boards you're talking about, these are legendary boards you hear so much. A whole crew needed to run these boards. Like there were seven, yeah, it was like seven or eight guys up there. I mean, this, wow. in, it, it was like a catwalk, and you had to swing. You had to be like a monkey to walk around these catwalks, and and the results had come in on big speakers. It was really eerie, big vacant warehouse type thing, and you had to listen. You know, if you missed it, you missed it, and they, you put the results in, and. You you announced from up there, and across across the across the book was a camera pointing this pointing towards the boards. Yeah. So there's a guy sitting there monitoring the camera, looking for mistakes. Gotcha. It was it was it was some operation. Wow, well, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And, so and the, the horse. <laughs> a funny story about the the horse room. Oh jeez. There was a guy up there, Bobby the Beard. That was his name, Bobby the Beard. He, him and I got along. He was a one of the. He was from Jersey. He was one of the greatest doo-wop experts you could imagine, and, and I love doo-wop and still do to this day. Yeah. And, anyways, we got along good. So, but Bobby was, uh, you know, his own, his own, uh, in his own world. He had, he had the water cooler full of wine, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So, anyways, one night, they call up. You got to get down here. You got to get down here. We got to get in the room. The room, the sports boards had big, heavy doors. Bobby put a, a sign up <laughs> in the casino. Reagan, Reagan ends welfare, creates 5,000 NBA teams. <laughs> he put this, he put this on the board. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Locked it up and went home. <laughs> Reagan. Oh. Reagan creates, yeah. Reagan ends welfare, creates 5,000 NBA teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> and they, they had to bust the door down to get in and take it down. Yeah, yeah. Did he last? Any, was that no, a, no, that no, was his last. I was last day, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, okay, so now you, you, you get this gig now, uh, you know, December of 83. This is such yeah. a big thing now. This is the, you know, it's, it's, it's a sports book. Now, the Boyd's, Historically, um, were the Boyds, you know, you said they were the masters of running a local joint, yeah. but they really didn't have any idea of running a strip joint. Didn't um, they have a clue and they had no business being there? And the board asked them to come in and oversee it. The board asked them because of their reputation to come in and oversee it. They had no business being on the strip. Money scared them, you know, and they had no, and now here, here they are in the going from Sam's Town, a local joint, to sitting in the middle of the strip and the stardust. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and the book was taking big. I mean, Lefty, he was taking big action. And I mean, 
they didn't know what the hell to do. So they, yeah. they got me. So now I come in. Yeah. And first thing I do, we're writing tickets by hand. I go through all these tickets and I say, oh my God, this is before the bowl games. I says, the bowl games are one big, huge teaser. You know, what I mean? like yeah. these guys were just, they were all business for themselves. The writers, uh, you know, you know, I mean, they're writing their own tickets and they're taking three, four points of best of it. One side, three, four. I says, it's just like a big giant teaser. You know, I says, we got so, no shot. We're going to lose big time. So I explained it to, to the guys upstairs. You know, my one guy was, was my benefactor, Perry Witt. He was the general manager at the time. And he was a good guy. Him and Warren were good buddies. They were Marines together. And Perry got one of his lungs shot out. Anyways, uh, they're old timers. You know, they don't sweat. They don't, they don't sweat the game. So he's, well, we just, if, if you win, we'll keep the money. If you lose, we'll pay. You know, so yeah. I said, well, we ain't going to win. So anyways, we got, we got through the bowl games. So you inherited a lot of like fraud there. There's like, you know, Oh, it was, just, it was brutal. Yeah. I had to, I was like, I had to clean it up. It yeah. was brutal. So, you know, they're right. Everybody's used to writing their own tickets and it was just what, you know, everybody had their own little action, you know? So I had to clean it up, get rid of a couple of guys and uh, uh, clean it up clean the odds up mm -hmm. i mean the odds they put up were just goofy you know what i mean they were just taking taking advantage of it they didn't have to win because all the money went the more money they brought in the more they could send to chicago gotcha. you understand what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah so win or lose they just wanted money exactly so <laughs> they did yeah. whatever they could they just bushels of money and it's going out the back door you know yeah, yeah. so so I had to clean all this up and put the correct odds up, which was a, you know, trying to get these guys to, to move numbers right. You know, they just moved them however they felt like it. So anyways, uh, the boys thought I was a genius. So the, the, <laughs> the startups had their own bookmaking system, you know, so <laughs> they had their own bookmaking system. There was several mistakes in it, you know, <laughs> several yeah. blank, ledgers you know what i mean yeah so i come in and i give the boys first count they were getting first count you know what i mean everything was legit they said man look what he did he doubled the action i didn't double the action <laughs> I, yeah. I took credit for it but yeah, i didn't well, double the action i just wrote it all down you know, yeah, so exactly. they, it. they were yeah. getting first count yeah the, the other way chicago got first count, uh, obviously you know? yes 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 okay so that's great so now how do you straighten out the odds? What steps did you take? I, I, I put, I was going to put my own odds up there, you know. Mm -hmm. So I hired Roxy and a couple other guys, and uh, Roxy didn't have any customers in in Las Vegas. He had three or four in Reno, but nothing in Las Vegas. So if he got the Stardust, he, you know, he. That was that was that was the start for him. You know, he, yeah. he was he he was known. Chris had him in Reno, and a couple other joints in Reno, but nothing in Las Vegas. So, uh, you were his first big break in Las Vegas. Roxy yeah, said he, the he, greatest day in Las Vegas was the day Scotty Shuttler hired. Yeah, that's what Roxy said. Yeah, he yeah, yeah Roxy and I became pretty close. We still have we we're still in contact, and uh, I hired Roxy, and. Of course, you couldn't put just Roxy's numbers up because you can't just use one guy's numbers. Of course not. To, no. You have to put a lot of brain work into this. 
that, before I go any further, I got to say that wherever I was, it wasn't me. I hired the best people I could get. You know, I'm, I'm just not a very humble genius. of you, Scotty. No, no, very humble of you. But I'm I, not a genius. Even at Jerry's Nugget, a joint like that, I had good people. Mm -hmm. I'm very selective. You know, I hired, believe it or not, I didn't hire anybody west of the Mississippi. I hired everybody east of the Mississippi. Obviously, yes. From the yeah. northeast, you know, Chicago or Pittsburgh. Or, yep. I hired nobody from west of the Mississippi. No. I'm serious. Uh, no, I'm no, I, no, I'm not. I, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, I hired guys. It, it takes, I, it takes to, to figure out that talent, to spot that talent. You know, you definitely take full credit for that because, you know, there's yeah. so many people that knock on your door. You got to know who to take and who, who to yeah. pass. If, if a guy comes in in a suit and tie with a resume, he's got no shot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is great. I love yeah. this. I wish it was like this today, right? Oh, no. So, so anyways, I hired Roxy. And now was Ro how did Roxy look back then? Did Roxy get suited? Like, did he straight? Because I know I always hear stories of Roxy like looking like a hippie back then or well or but by then was he like when I, when I was at Churchill Roxy come Roxy would hang around Churchill uh I can't even remember if he bet but he was always hanging around Churchill and uh yeah he was a long hair yeah he went you couldn't call him a hippie I mean he was he washed and you know yeah. <laughs> okay, changed gotcha. his clothes yeah. but, but he still had long hair and sandals and all that you know yeah so Anyways, uh, he, he was making odds and he had what they, what was it? Las Vegas force consultants. Mm -hmm. So he, he cleaned himself up, got a suit, got a, you know, got a car. I remember that car, a tan Ford. It was a nice car and, and suit and tie haircut, you know? So, you know, it's like, it was like in a witness protection program. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? So, so, <laughs> so, you, so, so you had Roxy's line. Who else did you use? I hired a kid I brought with me from Reno, Jeff uh, Jeff Garrett, very smart kid. Him and his wife, I hired them both. His wife, Patty, and him. They were from Kansas City. Just super, super sharp sports guys and girls. I hired Jeff and uh, I hired, a, I brought a guy over from the race book. He was a, he was a race writer, Richard Saber. And I brought him over to the sports side because he was from Steubenville, Ohio, Gambit Town, Jimmy the Greek, Dean Martin, you know, that's Steubenville, Ohio. That's one of the big gambling towns in the country. And that's where he, that's where he was from. And I brought him over to help me out in the, in the he's wasting his time in a horse side. I brought him over to the sports and I had, a, I had a couple guys that, of course, Ray, Ray Vera helped me. I had a friend, uh, Bobby the Owl. Uh, and, and then later on, well, anyways, in the morning, I would get the odds, okay? I, Roxy would call me with his odds. Uh, phone calls, I would get phone calls with odds, okay? And I would, you know, put my input into it mm -hmm. and come up with a number, you know? So... And and we would sit together, Richard and Jeff and Patty and all of us. And we'd have Sylvester Villal, he was another good writer. He was from New York. And and we would have, have you know, everybody had their own pods. And we'd come up with a number. You know, we'd go over each game by game. You know, it's pretty neat. 
and uh, I made it so that even if I was home and I called in the line, I always made them put my final number up there, which was not my number. It was a composite of all the numbers. I didn't make the number. Yeah. Nobody's that smart. Believe uh, me. Yeah. So I, it was a composite of all the numbers, but I was the final say. And the reason I did that, even if I wasn't there, I did that. I called it in. I wanted, I wanted, if it was a bad number, I wanted it to be on me, not the writers. Gotcha. Because there, if it's, if the number starts getting away from them, they're liable to do something goofy to try and even the books out. Yeah. I didn't want to put that on. Okay. I wanted them to move the numbers the correct way without worrying about consequences. So I took the heat for the numbers. Beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was to protect the writers and it worked out good. They could, they could move the numbers correctly and not worry about it. So we put the, we would put the number up. Okay. And later on, I hired a guy, Jerry, the hat. That, that was his nice name, Jerry the Hat. But his, his real, his original handle was Greasy Jerry because mm-hmm. <laughs> he always wore a hat. He never washed his hair. He always wore a hat on his head. And his wife, Janice, they, oh, geez. But his wife, his wife, Janice, walked around with her finger in, in his belt loop. <laughs> I'm serious, like a puppy. Her, oh my God! She would fall over around with her finger in his belt loop. But he was, he was a absolute. I have done a lot of geniuses. He was an absolute. He knew which way the line would move. I don't know how he did it. He just had a good knack for knowing. He might not have had the original number, but he knows. He had a good feel for the public which way the line's going to move. Whereas Roxy. Roxy was more uh, analytical, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, yeah. Roxy was more like an opening numbers guy. And Jerry knew which way Roxy's number going. would go. Perfect. If Roxy made it three, Jerry knew, hey, this was going up to four and a half. Gotcha. So anyways, I had a pretty good crew. You know, it wasn't me. It was a pretty good crew. So, okay, so you come up with a consensus. You, you get all this input. You come up now. You know, yeah. This is, you know, and, and it's a big thing that the Stardust Lottery, it's historic. Can well, you describe how that worked? Yeah. The lottery wasn't a marketing gimmick. In other words, we didn't say, hey, let's make a lottery that, you know, we might get on TV. No, we had to do that because of the business. We yeah. couldn't handle the business. We were the first, <clears throat> we put up the original number in Las Vegas and it went all over the country. We had so much business, we couldn't handle it. Guys were fighting and we just couldn't handle it. We, you know, we put a wall, we put stanchions up, you know, like in a showroom. Yeah. They just trampled them. They moved them. We made everybody sit in the seats. You can't get up. You can't get more than 20 yards from the counter till we put the numbers up. And then it was like a, like a 20 yard dash. Yeah. You, know, you, know, <laughs> you, you get hurt trying, trying to be first in line. Oh yeah. So we didn't know what to do. Finally, one day, finally, one day we had like four, like we had four windows open, but only three writers. So the guys are lined up at the windows and there's one window doesn't have any writer, doesn't have a writer. So these yeah. guys are, Richard come out with a broom <laughs> and he's beating the guys away. <laughs> oh yeah. So we had to come up with something. Yeah. No, we just couldn't handle the business. Yeah. It wasn't civilized. Yeah. There was maybe a hundred guys wanted the opening line to bet big yeah. money. Yeah. From all over the country. Oh yeah. So, so we, so 
actually it was Richard come up with the idea for the lottery. So what we did to, to just to handle the business in the morning, like I said, this was not a, a marketing gimmick. This was necessary. Yeah. This was so we put a we put a sign up sheet out in the morning on the counter, and guys that come in at their own leisure, we put it out maybe a half an hour before we opened, seven thirty. So they'd come in and it was numbered, and they'd come in write their name. It didn't matter what, what number you wrote your name on because we're gonna draw we're gonna draw cards. Okay, so we we draw. We, we decided we're going to open up uh, four windows this morning. So we, we would shuffle the deck, blah, 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 and draw a card. Okay. Uh, say it's a six of hearts. Uh, One-eyed Scotty, you're number one at window one because he had the six, okay, on, on the sign-up sheet. Yeah. And that's the way we did it. Gotcha. And it was, it, nobody was favored. It, it was fair for everybody. But, we, but now we had problems. Guys in the back would holler up to the guys at front, hey, bet so-and-so for me. No, that, that's no good. No. So we, we, we had all these silly little rules. Like in kindergarten, you can't talk. Once you get in line, you can't talk. If you talk, <laughs> you're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had to do it. And no, no passing papers. In other words, you can't write bet, bet the Browns for me and pass it up to yeah. the guy at front. Nothing. You 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 had to <laughs> had if you're number one you had to make a bet and nobody could talk if if they talk here's these guys big time gamblers hey he's talking he's talking so I'd say get the hell out of here you're out you're 86 you know come back in two days yeah here's these guys they're acting like little kindergarten kids and they police themselves yeah it was beautiful the country should run like that. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, and it worked perfect. And it, worked. it just was beautiful. And the, 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 the first 20 minutes, we, we'd probably do, yeah, maybe a quarter million. This is 1970, $80, you know, this, and, and we, we would chart the games by hand. We were writing tickets by hand to start, and then we chart by hand, and our charts would be, we, I've got charts. I, I got all the charts here in my office. We would some days, like on a Saturday, basketball Saturday, we'd make maybe 700 changes a day, up, down, up, down, up, yes. down. And we were just trying to get juice, you know. So, so every morning at eight o'clock, no matter what happened the day before, if we won, lost, no matter what happened, we open up every day, just like a bank at eight o'clock in the morning. The guys could count on it. They didn't have to say, geez, I wonder if the Hilton's going to be open today. Maybe they're going to, you know, they lost yesterday. Maybe they'll be a little bit later. So, no, they, yeah. they could count on Stardust. Now, your, your openers, I'm just, this is, again, limit-wise, basketball, two to three dimes on the openers. Baseball, yeah. five dimes. Yeah. Football, ten dimes. Yeah. Um, now, th these are fresh. These are virgin numbers. Nobody's ever, virgin. These are our numbers. Uh, and this is 1984, 19, this yeah. is 84. All through the 80s, yeah. All through up the until, 80s. Up, up until I left in 91, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at these limits, and it's unbelievable how yeah. on Virgin numbers yeah. you have these limits, where there are several sports books, Scotty, today, that on Sunday, 10 minutes to kickoff sometimes don't even have these limits. Yeah. Or um, Which just to me is just fascinating how. It's it. it, it 
it was good for business. In other words, guys knew they could count on it. When they got up in the morning, they didn't have to go anywhere else. They said, geez, I'm going to start us. You know, and we never changed. We never took a game off the board. Might circle it. We never took a game off the board. Never scratched. There was a number for every game. Yeah, that's another thing. Let's talk about that because you always, you know, you you brought that. That's a great point. You know, the added games. Um, you. Oh yeah, that that that's my baby. That yeah. Ray Ray Vera and I. It's not Ray Lindsay, my friend from Norristown. This is Ray Vera. He's from yeah. Canton, Ohio. Ray Vera and I, you know, we worked together making numbers, and we would have through a course of our work, we all these teams had come up because they played board teams. Yep. Stetson, San Francisco, Jacksonville, they all played board teams. And we had to figure that in our numbers. So we had, we kept track of all these teams. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, well, Roxy sends us the numbers every day and we use JK's schedule. Or at this time we were using Feist, Jim Feist's schedule. Mm-hmm. JK was out of business. So I says, well, who the hell are they to tell us what games to book? Mm. I says, we're booking. They're not. Mm-hmm. Who are they to tell us what the, you know, if we lose, they're not going to say, geez, you know, here's some money. <laughs> I says, well, what the hell? We're going to, we're going to pick the games we want. Yeah. So I got all, I got probably, like you can look at my website. I probably got 150, 175 teams and good conferences you know, the people never booked before, like the Mid-American, and I picked, it's a really good idea. I'll take credit for this. This was my idea. And I, I picked teams in big markets with a big newspaper, okay? You know, big market teams in, in, in you know, quality teams that play good basketball, but they're not on the board for some odd reason, you know? And they and so I got all these teams and and we started booking them, smaller limits, you know, small you can't you know smaller yeah. limits. So so now it creates a whole new a whole new niche business. Now there's guys concentrating on these. They're ignoring the big teams and concentrating on the little ones. So it just grew and grew and grew and it just it, it just grew. So, so now uh, I started putting them, I, I, I says, well, who, who's Jim Feist to tell us what games to use? So I started putting, inserting our games, our added games in the correct time slots. So now his schedule was useless mm. because we had our own rotation. The only rotation in the country was ours. So we started printing our own schedule. <laughs> I love it. So we printed our own schedule. Yeah. We called it the Stardust Registry. And inside of it, we had stories and customer of the week and all that bullshit, you know. But it had it had our rotation. Now fight schedule is useless. So now we're printing 5,000 schedules a week and it's not enough. People were fighting over these schedules. Can you say, you know, guys like maybe a runner from New Jersey, give me 20. I need 20 schedules. He'd send them back to New Jersey. Give me, give me 10 schedules that they go to New York, you know, all over the place. And our schedule, our rotation is screwing up the whole town. Yeah. Because guys go in other books, you know, 
they got the different rotation. Yeah. And it's just causes a lot of confusion. So Feist was a friend of mine. He was he was very good to me. My my son had a cancer. He, he beat cancer at UCLA. And Feist was, I was working for Feist at one time and he kept me on his payroll when I moved to Los Angeles to take care of my son. And he was just good to me. He had a blood drive for my kid and everything. So I said, I don't want to hurt Feist. So, so Jim and I had a meeting. Wait, this was before my son got sick because Feist came into the book. Yeah, Feist came into the book. So we had a meeting and I, I said, this, it's too much confusion. I says, the little guys are getting hurt. The, the runners, you know, the guys that run, the guys that call you back in New Jersey, they're getting hurt because it's just confusion, you know? So I said, well, we got to do something. So, so Feist and I come up with the idea of putting these games at the end of the schedule, use his rotation. And then at the end of it, put, so we call them the added games because we added them. Okay. So, so now you can use Feist rotation or you can use ours, you know, so, so that so there was no took conflict. care of that. Because it, not, it, not every, not every shop in town wanted to deal the added games. Oh, no, right. no, no, no. So Feist printed two schedules, one with the added games and one without. Beautiful. So most of these places, you know, they, they don't want to book anything unless the game's over and they're going to win. You know, <laughs> yeah. If there's a chance they're going to lose, they don't want anything to do with it. So, 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 the, yeah. go ahead. so, so, <laughs> so, guys are going in. Guys are going to the Hilton. Uh, give me Jacksonville. Who? Jacksonville. You know they're playing Stetson. Well, we don't have that game. Well, the Stardust has it. Why mm. don't you have it? So it's causing. Oh man, just you. You don't know the trouble this causes. So. And I loved it. Oh, I, and, and you generated just that much more business, obviously. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. so, so a lot of them had schedules without the added games on the bottom because they didn't want to be embarrassed. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, just, and now, now the, the added games created a, a niche of their own. It was like, like a new league. Yeah. yeah. And up and until, it, up until just a few years ago, um, you know, added games were uh, were a thing. Um, yeah. Stopping that in college basketball now, it's extra games. They call it. They call them extra. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they call them yeah. extra. Yeah, we added them, so we called them added games. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it great. I love it. So that's another thing. Let's talk about the landscape now. You guys are putting up added games. You're first to the line. You know, you guys are hanging up the numbers first. How do the rest of the Nevada, the Las Vegas, and the rest of Nevada bookmakers react? Because you know, are you know? Do they try to claim that they're making their own lines, or that they still, yeah? You know, are they? Is everybody? Are they sending somebody from their joint to look at your number, write it down? You see them, and then they go back and hang up their numbers. What's happening exactly? Yeah, they they might put a hook on a couple of numbers and say, yeah, "This is what I'm. I made it. I made Alabama six and a half. Stardust made it six. I made it six and a half. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. big. I'm I'm a big bookmaker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people, people, the customers see through that bullshit. Of course, the customers see through that. But they, oh, this, I can't tell you how dumb some of these people are. So we would put our numbers up, okay. So they get bet into, say they're bet into for an hour, half an hour. So all the other books that have a guy in there writing the numbers down, and they wait till the, they wait till all the actions done, and our numbers are painted, and. They'd write them down, 
because they figured, oh, these are solid numbers now. Stardust took all the hits. Stardust took all the hits. Yeah, bullshit. So, so they, so they took our painted numbers after they were massaged, and they reached their apex, and ran back to their books and put them up, dumbbells. So, so now we open a game up six. It gets bet. It gets bet bet up to eight. The other joint copies it at eight. They're only going to get one way action on the way down. Mm. But ours come down too. Yeah. To, to the original number. We got two way action. Yep. They got one way action. Yep. And like I told you the other day, 11's bigger than 10. And yep. all we want's the juice. We're not trying to beat anybody. We're They're smarter than we are. We're not going to beat. It. So we, we got two way action and they got one way action. They'd lose. And they say, ah, oh, the Stardust, they're lucky. Yeah, they won. They're the only place in town that won. They're lucky. Mm. We aren't lucky. We're just a little bit ahead of the game. You're just booking. And, and, and guys have come in in the morning, like uh, uh, Billy Walters and his crew and the computer and all these joints. And they purposely bet the side they don't want, hoping they'd lose. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. So Billy would bet minus six, looking to take eight. So yep. he'd bet minus six, hoping he loses, and it goes up to eight. And then he'd come in at three o'clock post time, bet all over town, twenty joints at eight. <laughs> I love it. It would, com- even, it would com- even, even back then there were phony games. Yeah, and, and you guys would be the benefactor of all that because you guys. Yeah, we earned it. It's we we deserve it. Yeah, I love we it. we'd get two way action, and if we got middle, who cares? I mean, there's there's never been a player yet. Come in and say, geez, I middled you. I'm quitting with your money and you'll never get it back. Never, never, never happened. Never will. It, it don't even leave the building. They just want to bet more tickets. Now, it, you, you said a key line. You di- you don't have to beat the players. Um, You didn't have to beat no. them. A lot of, yeah. Explain that a little bit more because I think a lot of, you know, wannabe bookmakers, you know, I call them dressmakers, they're listening to this. Explain that, Scotty, because well, they, they have to beat I, everybody. Th- there's a guy that wins all the time. Good for him. So he wins. Theoretically, somebody bet the other side and lost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you have enough customers and they come back every day, everybody doesn't bet the same side. Now maybe they do this. Nowadays, probably all followers. But back then, you had two-way action. Guys made their own numbers, handicapped their own games. So somebody wins every day. So what? We change the number, somebody loses. I mean, it's it's not hard to figure out. In other words, some guy walks in and say, "Oh, there's there's a lucky Joe. Get him out of here. We don't want him. He's gonna he's gonna win. He's gonna beat us." How the hell do you know? You know, yeah. I mean, now you're handicapping players instead of handicapping games. Mm. You know, it yeah. it's just it's just it's so simple to book games. It is the simplest thing in the world. The least you know about the teams, the better. You know what I mean? You don't get caught up in the in the hype, you don't believe your own bullshit. And and these guys want to play faces. In other words, so and so beat us yesterday. Well, today you can only bet, you know, today you can only bet a hundred dollars. That's bullshit. How are you gonna get your money back? He's got your money. Yeah. You're throwing winners out. <laughs> You're yeah. throwing guys out with your money. Yeah. Stupid asses. You know, <laughs> this guy beat us for a hundred thousand. Get rid of him. Well, yeah. he's got our money. Why would you want to get rid of him? Mm-hmm. So he can eleven is bigger than ten. Yeah, 11, 11's bigger than 10, so he'll come over to the Stardust with, with your money from the Hilton. 
He's bringing it over to us. I mean, it's so simple. And every, everybody was, they made it, they made it like it was brain work. And it's not brain work. It's just moving numbers. You know, it's it's not brain work. It's just being efficient. You know what I mean? It's it's getting the right count and the right chart. And the, the, those mon the money doesn't have a guy's name on it like uh, Stu Unger. It doesn't say Stu Unger on the on the money. It's just a it's just a hundred dollar bill. Yep. You know, I don't care where it came from. It's no, like it's a big salad that all goes into a big bowl and you mix it up and hope there's some left over. You know. And you were very successful at running the Stardust all those years. Um, you wind, we we, you guys, we won forty seven million dollars in. In 1980 dollars, which is that's racist too. The, the whole book we won 47 million, which is nice figure. In 80 dollars now, I don't know what would be probably bigger than national debt, but but uh, yeah, yeah, we were very successful. We had like eight years of winning months, never had a losing month. When I first went there, we had a couple losing months because of all the scams that were going on. Yeah. Once that got cleaned up. We never had a never had a losing month. Other books would lose and we'd win. It, we started taking layoff bets, and here's these dumbbells laying off to us. And every month they'd send us a check. The gaming board okayed this layoff bets, mm -hmm. so they'd send us a check every month, and nobody ever stopped the thing. Geez, why am I sending them a check? You know, <laughs> if I didn't. If I didn't lay this off, I could keep the money. Yeah. Nobody ever figured that out. They just keep sending us checks. So, so lay, lay, you know, now I don't think among sports books, I don't think any sports books really are laying off with each other. Back then, that was a pretty common thing where sports books would lay off to you guys. I no, it, it wasn't that common. Gotcha. Uh, you had you had to identify the ticket so you didn't pay taxes twice. You know, they paid the tax. We didn't. Gotcha. Because they already paid the tax, so we yeah. didn't have to pay the tax. But I, I don't, I wouldn't think so. I don't, I, I don't think anybody's that smarter. That I know, I don't think so. And they, they probably wouldn't want to help each other out, anyways. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. I, I can't speak for today. I don't know. So I, I just interviewed Richard Schutz recently. You know, he, you know, yeah. He, uh, He's, you know, oh, I love Richard. Yeah. He's the best guy I ever worked for. I listened, to, I listened to the podcast. Beautiful. Richard is. He's the best guy. He let me be. He let me do my job. Yeah. He let me do my job, and I come and I come through for him, instead of micromanaging me. He you let know? you be you. Yeah, let you he let me do my job. I knew what I was doing. Yeah, and he let me do it, and, and I was trustworthy. You know, I could. You you could. You know, at the start, us we handled maybe a, a billion or so, and they got first kind of everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know I'll, I'll, that one thing that we talked about earlier with Bob Martin when he put up the uh, all those you know articles and everything for everybody to read, you created something at the Stardust known as the Sports Handicapping Library, where uh, you yeah, let I, guys read different things. You know, you want to talk I, about that? I did everything that the other books wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. It was like jabbing them in the ass with a pin. I did everything that they wouldn't do. <laughs> They they thought the information was information. It wasn't. It's air. You know, yeah. they thought information was information. And if some guy knew that somebody was hurt, he's going to come in and make a bet and beat them. Yeah. Bullshit. You know, he's going to come in and lose, you know, yeah. betting injury games. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm sorry you know that. 
betting yeah. injury games. So, <laughs> so especially the NBA. Anyways, so I says, what the hell? So I, there was a, uh, a change booth next to the, next to the sports counter. And, oh, by the way, the, we cleaned out a whole bunch of slots to make room for a sports book, which is, is unheard of. Mm -hmm. to take slots away yeah. and put a sports book in there. We had so much business that they took rows of slots out to make room for sports players. That's saying something. Anyways, yeah. I took over this room that was making change for, for uh, slot machines. And I, <laughs> I called it the Sports Handicappers Library. <laughs> library. Half these guys can't even read. Sports <laughs> 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 Handicappers Library. And, uh. <laughs> They'd go in there and hide your face in case somebody was looking. You know. Anyways, I I had I had uh, all, all these different uh, sports services. I had sports ticker from uh, Philadelphia and uh, AP and all all these different sports services. And I would take reams of this crap and put it on the walls. Just cover it. It's like wallpaper. Yeah. Just cover it. There's no way you could figure out anything from it. But yeah. these guys had come in. They thought that they, they, they thought this is a this is the gold mine. This is <laughs> yeah. a, this is it. Yeah. And I put the gold sheet up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so now you didn't have to spend seven bucks on a gold sheet. You could come in and look at ours. So, anyways, <laughs> so they, they got guys coming in with recorders reading this crap into recorders <laughs> they got their girlfriends coming in at three in the morning and and stealing things off the wall and, oh, <laughs> what a zoo anyways yeah. it was a sports handicappers library libraries of that's a, the wrong name for put in a sports book but <laughs> it, it was just a big i mean other books wouldn't they wouldn't think of you know doing anything like that because they're afraid somebody's going to read some article from Joe Blow in Chicago and think mm -hmm. he's going to win. Of course. You know. yeah, it's such a great idea and such a, you yeah. know, and another thing that also the Scott, that I, you told me that you did was you had, you, you, you created sports book chips that were oh, just unique yeah. to the sports Yeah, books. that's, that was, that's another idea that I can take credit for. The, the gaming control board, had nothing else to do one day. So they come up with the, the they called it the re regulation 6A. So you had to, anything over 10,000, anybody bets over 10,000, either one bet or an accumulation, you had, when you reached 10,000, you had to get their ID, social security number. I mean, how stupid can, can it, and you can imagine what that did the, the business, you know mm. what I mean? So these guys don't want to give you their social security number or their address or yep. their name. So it was all cash. So you couldn't, you couldn't like go to a, a blackjack table, buy in, get the chips and then come down and bet the chips at the book. You couldn't do that. Cause that's, that's, you had to know where those chips came from. Yep. Or else you're in violation of reg six A. So I said, well, wait a minute. Why don't we have our own chips that you can't buy anywhere else but the book? You can't get them at the table. The table won't accept them. You can't bet them at the table. You, the only place you can get these chips is at the book. And you have to win them. You can't buy them. 
You can't walk in and say, give me, give me 9,999 chips. No, you have to win them. Mm. The only place you get them is a cashier's cage. So, and also I, I think, well, how are we going to distinguish it? So I made them bigger. Mm. So that if a dealer is dealing, he can feel with his fingers, this is a bigger chip, you know? So a guy can't sneak one up to the table and, you know, and try and get, you know, real, you know, casino chips for it. And I yeah. made them the most god-awful colors you could imagine, pink and lime green and everything, you know, so that they were completely distinct. The only way you could get one is to win it. So if you save enough up, you can just bet chips. You can bet chips forever. Yep. As long as you don't run out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and then, then, then I says, well, what are these guys going to do with these chips? So I says, well, what the hell? I put safety deposit boxes in there mm. in the cage. Now, here's these guys like at the bank with safety deposit boxes, filling them up with chips. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's and, and never got busted for any 6A. So the, the guy would bet 10,000 in chips. If he won, he'd get 10,000 chips back. And when he's ready to go back to Jacksonville, cash him in. Yep. End of story. End of story. Perfect. And nobody had to, it's, it's beautiful, you know. And, and it didn't it didn't interfere with the with the cage. I mean, and, and that was used by several casinos, even after you. I remember. You know, they all copied us. Whatever we did, they did. Yeah. And, and speaking of, you know, guys come in in the morning and copy our line and run to different casinos. If a guy walked into a casino, a sports book other than ours, with a clip, clipboard, oh man, it was like. It was like he's walking in with a machine gun and going to kill everybody. <laughs> they would call security and throw him out because he had so, a clipboard. He's, he's writing so their numbers down. Yep. You know, the runners, you know, I'm sure you yeah. know about runners. And, yep. and, and so, so I said, what the hell? We made 1,500 clipboards with the name Stardust on there <laughs> and handed them out. So now there's guys all over town with Stardust clipboards. It's like a status symbol. If you had a Stardust symbol or a Stardust clipboard, man, you were it. You know. So what the other joints thought were taboo, you actually welcomed and you invited everybody to to, to do with the library. We, the we wanted everybody. When, when my philosophy was, when a guy get up in the morning and he's going to make a bet, he doesn't have to think of who's up, who's going to put the number up. The first thing they think of is right to the Stardust. Now let's talk, let's talk about a phone room. You guys had a phone room, which is unbelievable. Oh, that's another. That's the gaming board just drove them nuts. They had another reg. You know, at that time you couldn't have a cell phone in the book. Mm -hmm. You know, now it's now you can bet on it, but at that time you couldn't yeah. have a, a cell phone. So you couldn't have any phone anywhere near the book that was facing the odds boards. Mm -hmm. These guys are geniuses. This, gaming control board so in other words if you had a phone in the pit it couldn't be close enough where you could see the board gotcha. just some harvard graduate probably come up with this idea yeah so anyways <laughs> i looked across and there's a there's a mr clean a porter mr clean had a broom closet over there right across in the back of the book so i says hmm so I went to Richard, Richard, let me do whatever I want. So I said, Richard, let's, you know, I says, I says, let's put phones in there, put them on the wall facing the book so that you can't talk in the phone and look at the book. 
you can only call a local number. You can't call New York, only a local number and no incoming calls. You can only call out. You can call another book if you want and bet, but you can't, nobody can call you with a bet and you can't bet outside of, outside of the area code 702. So perfect. We're not breaking any laws. So the game board couldn't figure it out. You know, what could they bust us for? So <laughs> here's, we had five free phones in there and guys could come in and, you know, call other joints. They didn't have to leave the Sardis. Gotcha. In other words, it's, it's, I, it's I want to go up to Caesars to get their numbers. So they have to get their car and drive. No, now they don't have to leave the Sardis with our money. They can go up. They can call Caesars. So you welcomed scalpers and middlers and guys Absolutely. and line shoppers. They, you wanted them to call around. If they got a better number elsewhere, go ahead. Yeah. And they'll bet the other side with us. Yeah. Perfect. It was oh, people weren't smart enough to figure that out. I wanted every possible dime I could get because to me there was no bad there was no bad bad bet. In other words, I don't care if a guy wins, loses, middles us, doesn't matter. I like I said, nobody ever says, Hey, I beat you. I'm taking your money and leaving, and you'll never get it. Never. No. They just they don't even want to leave. They stay right there. I made it so that they never had to leave. I, I, I took Perry Witt when he was my uh, manager and I took him outside to the parking lot. I said, Perry, look look back there in the other end of the parking lot, industrial road, cars zooming by, very busy street. I says, why don't we just put an entrance back there? I says, now when guys come from the west, from the west side and the north, uh, north side, they have to go you know, either up the Sahara or Flamingo and then back around. I says, now they can just Zip right into the Stardust. Beautiful. Yeah. Next thing you know, it got so busy back there, they had to put a street light there, a stop wow. sign. You know. Just and, amazing. And I pissed off all the dealers. I, oh, they hated me. Anyways, which is okay, you know, because I yeah. knew I was effective. I, I had a guy out there watching, one security. So no dealer could take a spot next to the book. Those spots are for customers. Yeah. Dealers can walk, can park in the back and walk. Up. Yeah. You know, I mean, they can't sit there with their car all day and take room for customers. So yeah. now we had all this open up for customers, had our own private entrance built right next to the parking lot where you didn't even have to win the front door. Wow. Just get out of your car and walk right in. And where does it dump into the book? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And now Richard told me that you guys had these pay phones outside the Stardust oh, and that's for people to call outside the state. And those were the highest, uh, the most uh, profitable highest, phones, highest grossing pay phones in the entire United States. Yeah, they were, it was, it was insane. Those phones were so busy. It was, it was like slot machines, you know, like a quarter slot machine. Yeah. Guys just pumping money in there, call, calling all over the place. You know, they, they were right there. They never left. No matter if they wanted to call a local joint, they wanted to call back to New York or anywhere. Yeah. Everybody, all the action, you could run your business essentially yep. out, out right, of the starters. Right, right from right from there. Yep. We had our, our own niche business with runners and middlers and, you know, guys didn't have to leave. They could just come to Stardust and say right there, what do I have to leave for? Amazing. Amazing. Get a comp to eat. We were very liberal with comps. Get a comp to eat. You didn't have to leave. We had cheap rooms 
you know, call up rooms, 10 bucks for a room, you know. It's so different than, than it is today, Scotty. Um, you couldn't do that today. Especially. No, no. You could, today, a guy like me would, I couldn't even get in the door. They wouldn't even want to talk to me. If I walked in without a suit and tie on, with my head going up and down, yes, 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 sir. They wouldn't even want to talk to me. You know, but like they don't Richard understand. said, I was, yeah. Go ahead, Richard, what is... said, Richard said, I don't know if he said it to you or who, but he, he said, managing me was like herding cats, you know. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he also, you know, you, um, you, ha you know, you brought your own guys, and you had to give them. Um, Richard Schutz called them a creative hires. Um, <laughs> you'd have to like give them a title because you want them on your team, but you didn't know what to call them. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I had more guys that that were smart guys that I needed because the smart guys made me look smart. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? I hired guys smarter than me because they made me look smart. You yep. know what I mean? So I had guys and I would bring them in and to help me make the line. And and they had Boyd Group, you know, very precise. They had a human relations department with categories of what this person did. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to tell them? This guy helps me make numbers. They had no category for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> so, I made up numbers, you know, made yeah. up titles. Like, uh, he's a boardroom coordinator. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I call them coordinators. He's, yeah. a, he's a, he's a, you know, phone coordinator. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just great. drove him nuts. But Warren, Warren told me, this is Warren. Warren Nelson told me, he says, just do what you want and don't listen to anybody. You know, like accountants would, after they're done counting the beans, they'd say, well, there's three beans missing. Warren says, don't pay any attention to anybody. He had complete faith in me. He says, just do what you do what you want to do. Don't listen to anybody. I had carte blanche, so I could do all these things. Beautiful. Yeah. So, Scott, you honestly, it's legendary to start us. Um, so, now, you know, you, you're there up until 1991. And, and 91, yeah. 91. They, they, they finally had enough of me. They wanted to get me the hell out of there. I was, the, the board wasn't thrilled with me. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't, you know, I, they weren't thrilled with me because I didn't play. I was ahead. Of, I was always one step ahead of them. They'd make some yeah. stupid role and I'd figure a way around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also attracted, I mean, the guys, the outfit, the arm. Yeah, I also yeah. attracted them. I had guys coming in betting that like the Splatra's outfit. They had so much money. These guys are all gone, so there's no harm in talking about this. They're all yeah. gone, so there's no harm in nobody. No harm's going to come. They had so much money. That, what could they do with it? Buy two stakes instead of one, or two Cadillacs instead of one. Mm -hmm. So they would bet it. They yeah. would the action, you know. And sometimes they'd ask me, "Who, who should? Who do you? Who do you want me to bet on?" <laughs> you know? Like yeah. I'd be overloaded on Notre Dame. Notre Dame's playing Wake Forest. I'd say bet Wake Forest. So they bet Wake Forest. Beautiful. You know? That's another thing. That, that, so at the end, of we had phones. We were the first person to have phones. Other people, phones were like the kiss of death to some of these guys, the books, some of these book managers. The phones were, you know, anybody bet on a phone was smart. You know, he was, you know, he, he could breathe and, you know, he was a breathing human. He was half smart. So <laughs> we, we had phones and we, let guys bet on the phones. First of all, we let the guys in the morning 
bet the opening line at the counter first because we wanted to get people in the book. We're mm-hmm. part of the casino, don't forget. Yes. We're not we're not out in the parking lot. We're part of the casino. So we we wanted that money in, in the building. So we, we didn't open the phones up until nine o'clock after all the cash business was taken care of. And the and the phones could take we could take anything we wanted at the counter because at post time on the phones, the wise guys would bet the other side. They see a strange number, they'll grab it. They don't even know who it belongs to. They're just going to grab it and see a strange number. Of course. We didn't have to worry about it. You know, say say we're 50,000 high in the game. We, we're liable to give it to some guy if he, you know, like I said, 11's bigger than 10. We're in it for the juice. We're not going to, we don't care. We don't, we're not trying to beat anybody. We just want to balance the books, you know. Yeah. How did you, so how did guys get updates back then, you know, in the how did How did, what's how did they get, how did they get line updates back then? So how did they know, you know, that you had a number? They that had was runners. All, it, they had runners in the book. They had runners in the books. Okay. And then yeah. like, so and then, would, would they call for rundowns or? or oh, or, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they would, especially at the Stardust, they would gotcha. call for rundowns. You have to sit in that damn phone and give. And would they give you a courtesy bet always? Huh? You know, usually, would there be a courtesy bet? Would you, you know, would you ask for a courtesy bet? No, no, or no, not like that. Okay. Oh, I was on a few guys' payroll, and they would take care of me. You know. Gotcha. gotcha. No, no, but uh, uh, across the street from us, there was a guy named Don Bassett. Don Bassett, who later came became Don Best. He opened up on the second floor in a little strip mall. He opened up Don Best Sports. Mm-hmm. And he had a guy, Jim Cerrotti, who would come over, sit in a book, and every change, he would, every change on our board, he would call Don across the street. And Don would put it on his wire. Don Best. That's how Don Best started, right across from the Stardust. I love it. So he had 35 customers to start. Now they got thousands. Gotcha. So, and Jim Cerrotti would sit there, and I got tired of looking at him. I says, Jim, why don't you make a bet? <laughs> I got tired of looking at him. Yeah, I, says, yeah, yeah. I says, you're living off of us, and you don't even give us a, a $10 parlay. So I told Don, I said, make this guy make a bet. So yeah, yeah. he made a $10 parlay. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. that's okay. Gives it a minimum. <laughs> yeah, you're legal now, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that, that's how Don Best got started. We started a lot of people. Yeah. Roxy, Vic Salerno. That's another thing. CBS, CBS come up with their own bookmaking system, computer bookmaking system, CBS. He had a guy from Pakistan, Javed Buttar, who knew it was, you know, there's Pakistanis and Indians. They're pretty smart yeah. people. Oh, yeah. And, and, and uh, Jim Feist, the three of them got together and started this company, CBS. So they, I don't, he might have had one customer in, in Las Vegas. He might have had Gary Austin's. He might have had his system in Gary Austin's standalone book. I'm not sure, but anyways, if he, he could get the Stardust, oh my God, you know, with put his system in the Stardust, we were still writing by hand. If he could get his system in the Stardust, who knows what, you know. That, that, that he had to have the Stardust. So the Boyd group had their own bookmaking system, but they weren't, they had, it, they had it running through the computers at the bank. In other words, they were sharing servers with the bank. The bank's transactions took precedent and then 
a sports ticket would go in. So you might you might walk up and say, make a bet, and then you might stand there for five minutes. Oh my god. <laughs> waiting for your ticket to pop up. Oh boy. So I put my job in the line. I went and, and don't forget the boys had their own system. Mm. So I put my job in the line. I went upstairs. I said, look, this they call it NABS, Nevada Automated Best Betting System. That's the Boyds. And I says, you got to get the CBS. Well, we can. You know, we, we can get the other one for free. I says, they'll put it in for free. I says, that doesn't matter. I says, after a week, I said, we'll be out of business. You know, you can't, it can't handle it. And I'll be damned. I was such a pain in the ass to They had to hire a guy to come in to call me down. Mark Alden, he's dead now. So <laughs> he come in to smooth me over, you know, because I just wouldn't let him go. I said, you have to, you can't do this. You'll ruin us. So I'll be damned. They told NABs their own system. We don't want it. And they paid 750000 for VIX. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine that? And I put my job in the line. If it didn't work, I'm out the door. Anyways, Vic, Vic and Feist and Job had spent three days there, never left the book, stayed in the hotel, and they put their system in and it worked fine. And the rest is history. The rest is history, my friend. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, so after your days at the Stardust, you know, and, and, you know, did you just completely leave the business, Scotty? What happens then, you know? Well, the, the Stardust got, grew tired of me. I guess the board probably put, put pressure on them. I mean, they just couldn't figure out the things I was doing. And, uh, they couldn't, they couldn't bust me for anything. And uh, the Stardust couldn't fire me because they might have a suit on their hands because they didn't do anything wrong. They interviewed a bunch of the, the, the writers and clerks and things, and they all had good things to say about me. They couldn't do anything with me. There I was. I'm sitting in the middle. And they want they wanted a parlay card joint, and I wanted the biggest book in the world. You yeah. know, you know. They, they they didn't want to worry about it. They, they couldn't sweat those numbers and things. You know, three four hundred thousand a day win lose. They couldn't stay in those swings. And so so. They had a big investigation, and they they couldn't do anything with me because I did nothing wrong. So I, I guess the board must have got to. Anyways, they they made me a deal. Take this money and, you know, what's the year? You know, here here's the severance check. That's Bye. It. So I said, oh, good. Let me get out of here. See you later. Good luck. So, so, I I left, and the 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 Boyd group brought in their own crew to to, to bring the the book down. So they. They just brought it down to zero. I mean, when I went in there, Lefty, Lefty built the best book in the world. It was like getting the keys to a Cadillac. Mm -hmm. you, you can hear, here's a Cadillac. Just don't wreck it. <laughs> yep. That's what I did. I had a Cadillac. And I just couldn't wreck it. I could, you know, fill it full of gas, but I, I didn't wreck it. But when the boy group came in with their own guys, a couple of guys you interviewed, they they brought it down to zero. In other words, they wanted a parlay card joint. Yeah. yeah. You know. The and, bookmaking was dying at that time. Yeah. But but they but they, they lived off our reputation. They they still kept the lottery, although they probably didn't need it. And they still kept the library and they're taking credit for all this crap. And they didn't do that. I mean, yeah. it was done for them. But they're but they're living off of, they were living off of our name, you know. Anyways. So Scott, you know your your legacy. You know you ran, you know the the biggest sports book at you know, in in Las Vegas in Nevada, yeah. um, 
and and have you looked at, have you ever thought about going back into the industry or going back no. to you just passed I could I couldn't do it nowadays. Uh, nowadays it, it's it's not bookmaking. We I built I built I won all my money, built the book up, got the the best marketing in the world without spending one cent. In other words, big big uh, TV companies would come in and film us. CBS, NBC, ABC, ESPN, they, mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated. We were in Sports Illustrated. Uh, free. They they call and ask, "Can we come in and film your book?" <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. They say, "Well, let me check." You know, it's all free. So so nowadays, we we, we got the we we did it by booking the way it's supposed to be. But nowadays, it's like entertainment. Whoever has the most TVs, you know, the most now they have. You know, lounges for high rollers can sit in the lounge. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to worry about tripping on the carpet like they did in the Stardust. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, have, they have lounges for the players, and it's 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 entertainment. Yeah. You, you know, we they, they get them by whoever can be the most outrageous entertainment center. That's who gets the customers. It's got nothing to do with bookmaking. Yeah. On the fa- the facade is that it looks so much more pretty and beautiful and all yeah. posh. But when it yeah. comes time to place a bet, yeah, it could They're never not come close yeah. to what the Stardust offered. There's yeah. guys that are limited, kicked out for having half a brain. You yeah. know, nobody's booking anymore, Scotty. What do you? Why do you think that is? What happened along the way? Uh, I don't know if they ran out of guys like me, or maybe guys like Richard Schutz that let them be what they were, or Warren Nelson. The, the corporate those those are individual guys. Now the corporations moved in to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Corporations moved in, and and with all their bean counters, no no bookmakers. In other words, if you look good in a suit and tie, you can run a book. Mm-hmm. Or you maybe you went to a basketball game last year. Oh, you did. Here you can run the book. <laughs> you know I mean? I'm serious. That's no. what I, you know. And if you look good in a suit and tie and shake your head up and down, yes sir, you know. You can run the book, but I, I it, the corporations, the corporations did Nevada. It, they got rid of all the the joints like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Churchill Downs and all the standalone books, the the real book joints. They got rid of them. They got rid of the flavor of Las Vegas, the culture of Las Vegas, and guys like me weren't welcome. If you if you knew what you were doing, you might you have a hard time getting a job. Me with my record. I couldn't have got in, couldn't have got in there without Warren. We, mm-hmm. we went up before the board and Warren stood beside me. And they says, how old are you? you? Usually they grill you for four or five hours. I'm getting my license. I says, I'm 35, 37, whatever it was. They said, that's pretty young, huh? Okay, you're, you're okay. Warren stood <laughs> beside me. That was it. And I got a license. That's amazing. And, and I, it, it, you know, with felonies, you know, you can't do that. No. You know, <laughs> and anyways, cool. they ran out of guys like me. We're not welcome. Put it that way. You know, it's it's all, it's all, it's like a studio game. I predicted years ago that sports would be a studio game and played for TV, and that's yeah. what's happening. Only not because of what I said, because of COVID. But 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 it, it's all changing. It's, it's you get customers not by booking and welcoming their action. You get customers by you know, flash and bang and fireworks and, you yeah. know. That's it. 
That's the yep. way it is now these days. Yep. The art of bookmaking is slowly dying. And it is. Guys, guys like you are, are, are either, you know, passed away or going to retire or yeah. just left the business. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, in another 10, 20, 30 years, you know, who yeah. knows? Yeah. Even, I don't know, but they're just slowly, slowly drifting away. And it's a shame. Yeah. They'll, uh, they'll, yeah, they'll have books in, in all the stadiums and in all that stuff, you know. And, you know, and and they're kicking guys out, Scotty, like left and right. You know, you, you guys welcomed everybody. You know, I could. The only guys I ever kept that were guys in the lottery that were talking. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. they go upstairs. He kicked me out of the lottery. Can yeah. I? Can you get me back in? Say <laughs> yeah. so you could not argue with them. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. It's, Here's another thing I wanted to do in the Stardust. The Stardust. Is you've been in the Stardust, right? It's a big yes. long building, like a like a Velveeta cheese box. Yeah. And I come up with the idea. I says, you know what? I said we ought to put a book up at the other end. We were at one end. I, I brought this to the guys upstairs. I says, let's put a completely independent book at the other end. <laughs> Let them make their own numbers. Yeah. Their own bankroll. Now we got two books. Now the guys can run back and forth shopping <laughs> for numbers. And when they when they go back and forth, they have to pass the craft table, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so how how can they new new shooter, you know? How can they? They're running they're running from phone, the book to book with money in their pocket. I, I just, you know, it was it was a hell of an idea. Oh, no, I I know it's amazing. I I would I would I, as a customer so it'd be great for me, I'd love that. Yeah. So yeah. who would have to leave your building? You just walk yeah. the other end and get a different number. Get two joints in the same building. It's like beautiful. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they didn't buy it, obviously. No, no, that was too much. Yeah, that was no. too, too much. <laughs> so, Scott, in closing, the name of the, the podcast is called Be Better Betters, you know, where I try to ask, you know, to if you can give advice to guys that are up and coming in the yeah. business as a, as a sports better, or even guys as a bookmaker, because maybe you could talk to, like, up-and-coming bookmakers or guys yeah. that are coming in to the environment, into this regulated environment in the united states trying to get licenses trying to be bookmakers what advice can you give either bookmakers betters or both in order to be successful in this business given your well there, there's there's still room for bookmakers the guy the guy that sits at his kitchen table sits at the bar stool and uses a pencil and paper there's still room for those guys they take credit mm -hmm. they pay on time mm -hmm. you know they don't they don't half of them don't know what sport they're booking but they just book you know what i mean and they pay and Christmas time, they might give your wife a present. I mean, there's still room for those guys, you know, the book, the, the book, yeah. you know, but, but, but the corporate, the corporate books, you know, where they're hooked up with maybe 10 other books, boy, I'll tell you, it's, I, I, I wouldn't know what to tell those guys that say, just shake your head. Yes. or no, you know, I, I mean, what, you know, what, 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 well, they don't even have to be qualified. They they might pretty soon they'll have to have a degree you know a degree in some some damn thing not bookmaking but no. something and it's it's most of, them, most of them have nothing to do with books you know yeah. I mean what are you going to tell them you know tell them to move the number when you get to the limit they they look at you and say what are you talking about you know what can you tell them you know you know this uh, that's about oh and a better I here's here's my philosophy. Only bet on games where the ball is round. If it's crooked like a football, don't bet on it because it bounces. 
you can't beat football because the ball's crooked. Back, you might punt a beautiful punt, you know, hits on the one yard line and backs up, bounces back to the 40. I mean, yeah. fumble, a fumble, it bounces into the guy's hands or it bounces away from him. I Don't bet on a game where the ball is crooked. crooked. That's why, that's why the you can't beat football because the ball's crooked. Baseball, tennis, basketball, the ball has a correct. The ball goes where it's supposed to. Yep. Great it's point. Too, it's a. That's my advice to anybody who wants to bet. I love. Think it. about that for a second. No, it makes sense. Believe me, I love it. I think it's yeah. great advice. NFL, yeah. I think NFL football, even back then, I think it's it's the. Would you agree? It's the hardest sport to beat. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why you can bet whatever you want on football, but yep. you walk in and try and bet an NBA game and they look at you like you're, you're a thief. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty, thanks yeah. so much. So Thank you so much for taking Oh, I could go on for another hour. Oh, I know you can. I know you can. And we've been, we're, 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 we're over two hours already. Really? Uh, yeah. Did you, yeah we're all, oh my God. We're well over two hours. How much do you uh, pay an hour? <laughs> 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 we can I'll go on it. forever, brother. I, I'll I'll maybe... do the next. I'll do the next hour for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, I know you must have so many stories. There's so many guys we, we didn't get into. But again, I want to remind everybody: we were wise guys and didn't know it. Wiseguys.com. You can pick up Scotty. He he has all these stories and then some. There's so yeah. many stories, so many characters in that book. Scotty, you've really lived such a, a, a tremendous life and a tremendous. You have just a tremendous career in the industry and i have nothing but respect for you and i really thank you i really thank Thank you so much because guys like you have paved the way in this industry for guys like me to be able to earn and for be able to provide for my family and i thank you so much for being a bookmaker a true bookmaker and allowing guys like me to be able to bet and you didn't care if you beat me or not you were going to make money because you had the talent necessary it's so it's so admirable for to, to talk to somebody like you. I look up to somebody like you, Scotty, because thank you, you are thank you. you are unbelievable. You are an expert at your craft, and there are very few of you guys left. So it's such an honor when you agreed to do this podcast. And I know you don't do media. I know you don't really do interviews. So for you to give me this honor, I'm just a, a regular guy that just bets for a living. But for you to give me this honor, we never. Uh, you're not. Paths. You're not a regular guy. You're you're pretty you're pretty sharp yourself, Spanky. No, I appreciate it. But you know, you, you we never crossed paths. We never did. So for you to give me this honor, it really means the world to me. And I thank you so much, Scotty, for doing this. Well, thank thank you, Spanky. You know, you, I had a good time. You know. I hope we accomplish something. It was we, are, we, we 100% did, Scotty. This is yeah. going to be great. Thanks okay. so much, buddy. All right, buddy. Thank we'll you. Talk soon. Thank All you, right, my friend. Take care. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. One of the best guys, you know, I ever had on a podcast. What a legend. In his book, in the preface of his book, I'm going to just read a line true bookmaking is close to extinct in today's Las Vegas by the way this book was written in the early 2000s or 2005 or something like that and he just says this true bookmaking is close to extinct in today's Las Vegas of course you could bet on games but if they think you're half smart and liable to win your wagers might be limited or even refused today's sportsbook personnel have no qualms about refusing wagers and some even enjoy the phony power trip. That, that was a quote from his book that was written 15 years ago. And 
nothing has changed. It gets worse and worse as time goes on. The bookmakers are dying. The dressmakers are coming and prevailing in the industry. And it's a sad, sad state of events to see this beautiful industry go down in flames the way it has. But guys like Scotty Shetler and other guys on this podcast that are true bookmakers, you know, to be able to have their legacies and, and to be able to have their stories told and to be able to understand how it once was such a great industry where betters and bookmakers would get along and, you know, bookmakers would welcome everybody and there was a talent involved, there was an art involved. I hope one day, and I doubt it'll ever happen, but I hope one day we can get to that level. But I'm not holding my breath. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.